0: This meeting will come to order. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Monday, October 23rd, 2023 meeting of the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Matt Dorsey, chair of this committee, and I am joined today by Vice Chair Shimon Walton and committee member Asha Safai. Together, we'd like to express our gratitude to our committee clerk today, Mr. Victor Young. Thanks also to the team at SFGovTV uh, for facilitating and broadcasting today's meeting, and in particular today, our producer, Mr. Jason Goldhammer. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements?
1: Uh, Yes. I'd like to remind the audience to make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, Documents uh, provided to me today will be included as part of the file and should be submitted to myself. Items acted upon today are expected to appear at the Board of Supervisors agenda on October 31st, 2023, unless otherwise stated. That completes my initial announcements.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Would you call, please call item number one.
1: Item number one is a charter amendment to amend the charter of the city and county of San Francisco to establish minimum staffing levels for sworn officers of the police department requiring for a period of five years that the mayor and the Board of Supervisors appropriate funds to meet staffing levels, establishing a police full staffing fund for a period of five years for the purpose of facilitating minimum police staffing and allowing for a temporary freeze on appropriations to the police full staffing fund in the budget and economic emergency
0: and an election to be held on March 5, 2024. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Colleagues, item number one is the police full staffing charter amendment that we first began working on last March. Uh, Some of you may recall that I announced this publicly last April. That was the day after San Francisco's flagship Whole Foods supermarket and Civic Center in my district shuttered following only a single year in operation. Their stated reason for the closure was safety concerns, both for their employees and their customers. Uh, It's high-profile issues with rampant retail theft, drug-driven behavioral issues, and uh, drug overdoses earned uh, unwelcome attention in national news reports. Sadly, we know that the Whole Foods is not alone among businesses in San Francisco that um, cite safety concerns for reasons that they have closed. We know, too, that safety has been a pervasive concern in fewer conventions and diminishing tourism in ways that hamstring San Francisco's post-COVID economic recovery and our long-term economic employment outlook. Many of these businesses, though certainly not all of them, struggle in the district I represent. After nearly a year and a half serving on this board of supervisors, I can say that probably 90 percent of the complaints I hear from my constituents boil down to a difficult truth that we don't have enough police officers to address the concerns they have every right to be voicing objections about. I have never believed more strongly than I believe today that San Francisco can no longer afford not to have a fully staffed police department. And this charter amendment endeavors to give voters the opportunity to accomplish that. While San Francisco has experienced police staffing shortfalls in past decades, never in our modern history has our police understaffing crisis been as serious as it is today. Now, as we will discuss in this hearing, we have a newly updated recommended police staffing level that is somewhat lower due to a drop in calls for service last year. The new recommended staffing level is 2,074 full-duty officers. Uh, that will bring the cost of this measure down, and I will be proposing amendments to reflect that update, which I will discuss shortly. Importantly, that number is the product of a long and thoughtful process established uh, over a few years under the leadership of former supervisor and board president, Norman Yi. Um, that was an excellent process that developed a workload-based, data-driven, independently recommended Um, methodology that was guided by outside experts. It also reflects a much-needed improvement over the prior staffing minimum once enshrined in our charter, which was there since uh, 1994 up to 2020, uh, which for 25 years froze the minimum staffing level at 1971 full-duty police officers. Unfortunately, San Francisco today is nowhere near our recommended staffing level. For that matter, we're nowhere near the old minimum staffing before it was repealed in November 2020's Prop E. Our actual number of full-duty sworn officers, as currently defined, is just 1,475 police officers. That means we are about 600 full-duty officers short of where we should be. Nearly 30% of the police department we are supposed to have isn't there. And most worrisome to me, more than 350 current police officers are eligible for retirement right now if we don't act boldly, and with a mandate from voters, I believe we face the prospect of a police force that could soon be at half-strength. This proposed charter amendment endeavors to prevent that, and here's how it will work. First, it will reestablish a minimum police staffing level of 2,074 full-duty officers in five years. And unlike the 1994 charter amendment, which for a quarter century enshrined a, a static number, it will enable periodic adjustments to minimum staffing levels in years to come. Second, it will give us, um, f- get us to full staffing in a way that is incremental and doable over time with graduated targets over five years. The amendments I will read into the record today, lower those targets by 100 officers, making this approach more affordable and more workable. Starting in July of 2024, if enacted, the minimum staffing level would go from 1,700 full-duty police officers in year one to 1,800 in year two, then to 1,900 in year three, then to 2,000 in year four, and finally to a fully staffed SFPD at 2,074 full-duty police officers in year five.
1: Um, Chair Dorsey, would you like to pause to sure. let the people oh, sure. settle? My apologies. No problem.
0: We'll take a pause as folks come in
1: Excuse me, I would like to ask the room if you can remain silent. We are currently in session. If someone would like to translate that, it would be appreciated.
0: Thanks everybody. So are we opening up up, up overflow?
1: They're setting it up. It's gonna take them a few minutes. Okay.
0: So there will will be um, overflow seating. So I'm gonna ask that everybody, Remember, this is an open session. If everybody could just be quiet down a little bit, and I don't know if we have a translator who would be able to translate. We're in an open session, and there will be overflow seating. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, you can use the microphone. Sir, use the microphone.
2: Microphone. Okay. Uh, thank you. Saudi Detroit, Cheng Fai, Thank you very much.
1: And I would also like to remind sign holders that you cannot hold signs above your head. They must be at chest level or or below. We do not want to block the view of other parties in the room. And we will be setting up overflow shortly, and uh, we will escort you to that room as soon as it's set up. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, We're setting it up right now.
0: Okay. Great. So I want to resume just describing the uh, charter amendment, and I appreciate everyone um, being quiet as we get ready for as we have overflow um, seating available. Um, I was describing that the way the Charter Amendment will work is that minimum staffing levels will be graduated in year one from 1,700 full duty officers to 1,800 police officers in year two, then 1,900, 2,000, and then by year five, we will be at 2,074 full duty police officers, a fully staffed police department. It will include a flexible set-aside budget mandate, which will commit the city to pay for every officer hired toward the minimum without having to sequester funding needlessly if, God forbid, we can't hire enough police officers uh, to be new recruits. And to help with that challenge, the third part of this measure will create a police full staffing fund for a period of five years. That will give SFPD the resources it needs to better compete with other cities and to recruit its way out of this crisis. It will be set at $75,000 per officer short of the minimum staffing level, up to a maximum of 400 positions. That $75,000 number reflects an approach which is being taken by the city of Alameda across the Bay, which is currently successfully solving its police staffing problem with uh, structured recruiting bonuses of $75,000. This fund will also prioritize local and diversity recruiting which is a core tenet of President Obama's Task Force on 21st Century Policing, which SFPD's reform work is based upon. The fourth and final element of this Charter Amendment is a budget emergency safeguard. It will allow a temporary freeze in staffing and funding levels in subsequent years if our city's projected budget deficits it is determined to exceed $250 million. A fully staffed police force in San Francisco will improve public safety. It will enable San Francisco to more effectively deter crime and provide better police service to our residents. It will reduce the need for costly overtime, which requires city taxpayers to spend more money for less policing simply to meet the basics of deployment. In fact, overtime savings alone could pay for a significant portion of this measure um, as determined by the city controller's analysis. I want to reiterate my gratitude to the city controller, Ben Rosenfield, and his team uh, with whom my office has been working for many months. Um, I am especially appreciative for the creativity he brought to developing a flexible set-aside approach which enables us to commit to fund positions if we can hire them without locking up dollars if we can't. I think that's a good government approach that I hope will be replicated in other uh, future set-asides. I'm also grateful to my co-sponsors, who are so far far Supervisors Joel Engardio and Rafael Mandelman. Uh, Thanks as well to our City Attorney David Chu's office. Thank you to Police Chief Bill Scott, uh, whose leadership on 21st century police reforms is too often underappreciated, I think. Um, The expertise that you and your team brought uh, to this gives me confidence that this approach that we are proposing will work. And make no mistake, police full staffing will help fulfill the promise of police reform too. I'm thankful to Mayor Breed and her budget and policy teams. Uh, Their support on this charter amendment was helpful. Uh, We worked together for many weeks and um, we agreed on a plan that I think will work and that will break the bank. Um, I'm grateful to the robust and diverse coalition of community supporters represented here today and just the last month we have presented this measure to dozens of community associations across the city. Um, and we welcome the support from groups like Corbett Heights Neighbors uh, focused on improving their corners of the city. More than a thousand residents and organizations have signed petition in order in in support and more are coming in each day. Uh, District six and downtown are firmly, firmly behind this proposal as well from the business and tourism community to residents. We welcome the support of organizations including the Hotel Council, SF Travel, the Downtown SF Partnership, the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, BOMA, numerous HOAs and Management Association, uh, all of the CBDs in my district, countless residents among others. And I'm grateful too to uh, those I have met with who are not supportive or who are reserving support for just being willing to take part in this conversation, which is very important to our city. Um, I am committed to stay in that conversation and to find agreement wherever we can on this charter amendment and other things that will come before us in months and years to come. And finally, I want to express my gratitude to my colleagues Uh, some of whom I've spoken with, some of whom I can't because of the Brown Act, but, uh, you know, we'll have a conversation today. Um, And I will be working hard to earn your support for a measure that I believe will deliver on the promise of a fully-staffed police department that San Franciscans deserve. So thank you for indulging me in this introduction. And now if there are uh, no questions or comments from my colleagues, I uh, welcome Chief of Police Bill Scott to the Rules Committee, to present on this item. Chief Scott, welcome to the Rules Committee. The floor is yours.
3: Good morning, thank you Chair uh, Dorsey and good morning Supervisors Walton and Safai and good morning to the public that's here to hear this matter. My name is Bill Scott, I'm the Chief of Police of the San Francisco Police Department and I've been invited here to speak today and present on the current staffing impacts and the staffing crisis that we have here in the City of San Francisco. I will be co-presenting with Commander Nicole Jones and Deputy Chief Peter Walsh, and also Director Patrick Leon and Director uh, Deanna Oliva Roche. Next slide, please. So before I start, I, I wanna lay a foundation and context about the national conversation about staffing and policing in 2023. This is a national conversation, and all over the country we see police departments, particularly in major cities, that are facing staffing shortages and staffing crises. And basically what that does for all of us, all different departments across um, the country, is it makes for a very competitive environment to recruit police officers. With that competitiveness and the impacts on that is we have to be one step ahead of everybody else to get the best candidates and to get them not only recruited, but recruited through backgrounds and hired before our competitors. And the impacts of this department having the best opportunity to do that will really, in my mind, um, cause us to be better competitive in terms of this market, which is extremely competitive. Next slide. I'm going to start by talking about the last five years and what we've seen in terms of impact with our response times on our A, B, and C priority calls as our staffing has decreased. And as you look at this chart, you see in 2018, for instance, our A priority calls, there was a seven minute, on average, a seven minute response time. Now in 2023, that response time has gone up to almost nine minutes for the average A priority call, calls. B priority calls, what was just under 20 minutes in 2018 now has gone up to over 33 minutes. And C priority calls, these are the priority calls where there's still a need for police service but it's not an immediate emergency, it's not a crime in progress, it's not a crime just occurred. These are things like responding to take a burglary report when the person is gone or the suspect is gone. That response time has gone from under 65 minutes to almost 80 minutes. It's at 78 minutes. This is a direct impact of staffing and the lack thereof, the staffing crisis that we face in the San Francisco Police Department. And the only way we're going to turn that around is to increase our staffing uh, levels to match the demand of calls for service and all the other needs that this department uh, faces. Next slide, please. So as you see, from 2021 to now, and these are year-to-date statistics, the actual calls for service have actually dropped a bit, Uh, 305 uh, total calls in 2021, and it's down to 215,000 in this year, year year-to-date. Now, people may ask, why is that? How can can
1: calls for Uh, service? Sorry to interrupt. I'd like to remind the audience to please silence all your cell phones. Thank you. Sorry.
3: How can calls to service drop and our response times continue to escalate and go up? Well, policing has changed over the last five years. And as you mentioned, uh, Chair Dorsey, in your opening, this department has embraced a collaborative reform initiative, first with the U.S. Department of Justice and now with the California Department of Justice. And we, we have changed the way we police for the better. But with that comes a lot more... Demands, um, our body-worn cameras, and administrative demands, and things of that nature. Uh, our tactics, the time and distance—you know, taking our time on calls. These things do extend the amount of time as we spend on a call, but also we believe that because of that, we've had some some really good outcomes with those changes in policing. It takes more people to do the same work that we did five, ten years ago, and with that, again, the impact on not having the available officers. It makes it much harder to do all the things that we've worked so hard to put in place. Um, we will continue to do it, but we have to change the narrative in terms of our, our staffing. Even with calls going down, we see the, the bottom chart are crisis intervention type of calls. These are people who are in some type of crisis mode that we respond to, and our our department has really put a lot of effort and training into responding to those calls in a way that really has yielded better outcomes. But when you look at the numbers, um, we're already at 25,000 of those types of calls year to date, and we will exceed 30,000 calls um, by the time this, this, this year is done. Now, even though we've put a lot of the city, we've put a lot of infrastructure in place, like the fire department street crisis response team, uh, we have public health uh, practitioners, it still doesn't alleviate the police department responding and handling these calls. So those calls are a big part of where we are going with policing in this city and even though we, our models will um, hopefully eventually lessen the need for police officers with some of these calls, we still have to respond to calls when it involves criminal activity and potential for violence. Even though the fire department and our health practitioners are there, we have to be there with them or we have to be there without them depending on how high the level of violence. So the point being, these calls won't go away for us. And again, it points to staffing. We need the staffing to handle these calls appropriately. Next slide, please. This slide, I'm going to try to lay some context. Even though I've talked mostly about statistics today, the reality of the public safety picture in San Francisco is also very much dependent upon how people feel about their safety in our city. I'm gonna show you some videos that really kind of paint a picture of, uh, and you'll hear some of, the, some of the conversation in these videos about how people feel about safety. And the reason that that is so important is because we, we are measured by crime statistics, homicides, car break-ins, burglaries, thefts, retail thefts, which are all very important, and it does paint a picture in terms of what's been reported and how we measure up year-to-year um, year and month-to-month month and day-to-day. Day. However, statistics give a little solace about the way people feel, and they feel the way they feel based on their lived experiences or the experiences of others who share those experiences, not only with people, uh, but these these experiences oftentimes end up on social media end up on nationwide media and they paint a certain certain image of our city that we have to turn around now policing is a big part of turning that around for instance organized retail theft we made some really good arrests but until we have a scenario where the public feels safe we still have much work to do and Time and time again, one of the things that turns that narrative around is having enough police officers on the streets, in the patrol cars, in the footbeats, on the motorcycle units, on the bicycles. Um, those are the type of things that will turn this narrative around or help turn this narrative around. And when you see these videos, and it's just a couple of minutes of videos, it kind of paints the picture of the other things, that, the challenges that we're dealing with. So we'll start with the first video.
4: It's crazy. crazy. What you're watching is surveillance video used in the police investigation showing six men walking along 23rd Street in San Francisco's Mission District around midnight Monday. Suddenly, a white sedan pulls up, and three armed men get out. One is even brandishing an AR-15 style rifle. While some of the victims huddle up against a wall or put their hands up, one man in the yellow tries to fight back.
5: I can only imagine adrenaline just taking over there. One
4: suspect even threatens to shoot, and when one victim does not back away... The bullet hole can still be seen on the home's garage Friday.
6: It it is horrifying what's happening in San Francisco.
4: Those who live in the neighborhood say they had no idea the incident even happened and believe San Francisco has changed in recent years.
6: My kids had to leave the city because it's just been... Oh, my. Well, they don't want to raise kids in a place that's so scary, right?
4: SFPD later spotted the getaway car and three suspects at a business just 10 minutes north along Folsom. Officers arrested 22-year-old Kamira Richmond of San Francisco. After escaping to the roof, a 21-year-old Kiari Carter and 15-year-old juvenile were arrested these firearms were seized from the trio. Police tell me they do not encourage victims of crime to fight back.
5: Stupidity, courage, those things, I'm not quite sure where the line is there.
4: And urge citizens to be aware of their surroundings at all hours of the day. All suspects are now in custody on more than a dozen charges each, including attempted murder. The juvenile also has a no bail warrant out of Alameda County.
7: Man who shot the video and he's a former news photographer. He says he shot it to raise awareness and as a public service. It's already had more than a million views on YouTube. Let's take a look. The video starts with items being taken out of this vehicle. The former photographer says he started shooting the video when he saw a person driving and another hopping out to break into cars at Fisherman's Wharf. This is on North Point near Powell Street. And you can see the person in the mask have. Out of the white Lexus and peek into cars at metered spots some they break into and others they don't we can only assume that they saw nothing inside to take and we can count the cars they hit up this white SUV is the second one in less than 30 seconds as the car drives by a hop-on hop-off big bus you can see it speed past people on a pedicab and look here You can see the man reach into this blue SUV where it looks like there is someone inside. There's a hand right there and you can hear someone screaming. And they keep going, making a dangerous turn. Here, they don't break into the white SUV after looking inside and that's when the recording stops. Three cars broken into in less than two minutes. The man who shot the video told me he didn't feel in danger, but stopped recording in case his luck ran out. He also told me he took the video to police and they said they know this is happening. Returning to the area the next day, he says there was added police presence. Overall, he said this is just a sad situation and he hopes people are aware it's happening.
8: San Francisco police are
4: asking anybody with any information about an overnight shooting to come forward after a man was killed in the Bayview. It happened on 3rd Street and Kirkwood Avenue shortly before 1130 last night. Investigators say that when officers got there, they found the man suffering from gunshot wounds. Emergency crews administered medical aid. He died at the scene. Police have not made any arrests. They say the department's homicide detail is leading that investigation.
3: So as you can see, all parts of the city are impacted by crime. And it's, it's regardless of what the statistics say, and there, there are statistics that are positive in our crime picture this year. You know, our burglaries are down, our car break-ins are slightly down, our uh, shootings are slightly down. But what you see here is how people feel. A million views on that car break-in video, that has to be turned around. And even though we have some really good strategies to deal with this issue. We don't have enough officers to do those strategies and scale. And the impact of putting this police department in, in a more competitive position, um, in my mind, is very, very important to turning that narrative around. If we're gonna change this, this perception, it's gonna take members of this police department along with the public and along with our elected officials to really do that. So. With that, I'm going to turn the uh, presentation over to Commander Jones and Deputy Chief Walsh for the next part of, of the presentation. Thank you.
9: Good morning, Supervisors. I'm Commander Nicole Jones, and I'm here today to talk about SFPD's staffing analysis efforts and how we determined what the right number was for SFPD staffing. I've spent the better part of the last six years working on staffing related issues on behalf of the department, so I'm intimately familiar with the more recent history here. I was involved in the work begun in 2017 with the controller's office on a staffing workload analysis for sector patrol. In 2018, I was tasked with establishing SFPD's first ever staffing and deployment unit, which focused full time on all things staffing related. I am very familiar with SFPD's data set because of that. I was also heavily involved in the matrix consulting group's work which yielded a benchmark staffing report in 2020 i oversaw the output of sfpd's first ever in-house staffing report as mandated by proposition e back in 2021 as well as the soon to be released 2023 updated proposition e staffing report as the chief just spoke to public safety drives staffing needs adequate sworn personnel is critical to maintaining our most basic and fundamental levels of service. It's important to understand context and methodology to be able to understand why we need what we need and why we are working so feverishly to try to get our staffing levels up. Next slide, please. I'm going to walk you through some of the timelines about how the understanding of SFPD's staffing needs has evolved over time. The first in-depth staffing analysis of SFPD was done by the Police Executive Research Forum, known as PERF, in 2008. After that work was completed, there weren't any other major major staffing-related projects until 2017, just shy of 10 years later. In 2017, the Board of Supervisors issued Resolution 63-17, which called for the San Francisco Police Department to form a task force on strategic police staffing. This resolution was really meant to examine the SFPD baseline staffing number of 1,971 that Supervisor Dorsey has mentioned. Um, And 1,971 was the number of full duty sworn officers and was institutionalized in the city charter in 1994. In early 2019, SFPD hired Matrix Consulting Group, an independent staffing expert to develop methodologies and conduct a comprehensive staffing analysis of the department. Simultaneously, a staffing task force comprised of SFPD members, police staffing experts, city partners, and data analysts from DPA, DEM, and the controller's office, community members, and police commissioners was formed. The staffing task force provided input and ultimately vetted the staffing methodologies suggested by Matrix, as well as Matrix's final report. The Matrix Staffing Report was released in early 2020 and recommended a baseline sworn staffing level of 2,176. Additionally, in late 2020, San Francisco voters approved Proposition E amending the city charter to remove the 1,971 baseline staffing level. Proposition E required SFPD to submit a report and recommendation on staffing levels every two years to the police commission for consideration when approving the department's budget. The purpose of the report was to recommend baseline staffing levels for SFPD using rigorous, industry-reputed methodologies developed and utilized by Matrix Consulting. In 2021, the Police Commission prescribed staffing analysis methodologies in Resolution 21-60, reinforcing those introduced by the Matrix Report. And later that year, SFPD released its first staffing report as required by Proposition E. That report set the recommended baseline staffing number for SFPD sworn personnel at 2,182. Currently in 2023, SFPD is finalizing its second ever Proposition E Staffing Report, and this report recommends a sworn staffing baseline of 2074. Next slide, please. While there are several methodologies utilized in the Matrix Staffing Report, as well as the Proposition E Reports, the hallmark methodology for sworn patrol staffing is workload-based. This is important to understand because workload drives the staffing levels needed, It is based on actual calls for service data, including the number of calls, the length of time needed for each call, and the amount of staff needed to handle each call. The workload-based methodology is the industry best practice across law enforcement. In a workload-based methodology, targets are set for the amount of time to be spent performing certain types of work. Calls for service and the associated amount of connected and required administrative time have fixed targets at 35 to 45% and 25 to 35% respectively. This allows for 30% of unallocated proactive time. In line with the department's priorities, SFPD has targeted that 30% of an officer's day be used to engage with the community or to take on proactive tasks such as high visibility patrols traffic stops, and other such types of work. Without this proactive time, officers are running from call to call to call. They are unable to handle work that is not dictated by calls for service. This is often the current situation now. Because staffing resources are more scarce, fewer officers are handling more calls, and they don't have that balance of time for anything else. Next slide, please. This graph depicts the marked decline in sworn police officers. The blue line at the top indicates the recommended baseline number of sworn officers as described by the respective staffing reports. Matrix had a recommended baseline of 2,176 sworn officers. The 2021 Proposition E Staffing Report had a baseline of 2,182. And again, the soon to be released 2023 Proposition E Staffing Report has a baseline of 2,074. The reduction in the recommended sworn staffing baseline reflects in part the lesser number of calls for service generated in the past few years, which Chief Scott spoke to. Less workload equals a need for fewer officers, but despite the dip in the staffing need, a baseline of 2,074 sworn officers still leaves SFPD painfully understaffed. We are currently now 500 officers short of this newly updated baseline. Previously, we were over 600 officers short. Data shows that the need went from desperate to still desperate. This deficit trend can be seen in the orange line on the graph, which depicts our full-duty sworn staffing levels. Full-duty sworn officers are those that are immediately deployable. They're not on leave. They're not on modified duty. The number of full-duty officers has decreased significantly from 2019. That difference in the last five years is close to 400 officers. In 2019, there was already a sizable gap between our staffing number and the matrix-recommended baseline. And since then, the gap has only widened, and it has widened at a very fast pace. Next slide, please. And this gap has widened so quickly for many different reasons. The department experienced a never-before-seen exodus of non-retirement eligible officers to other law enforcement agencies and other professions beginning most prominently in 2020 and peaking in 2022. I'm pleased to report that this has slowed in 2023 and we have stopped the bleeding there, but what won't stop or slow is the number of retirements. As you can see from this table, we have 391 retirement eligible officers due to age, meaning they are 50 or older. Of those 391, 153 are age 50 and older and have 25 years of service or beyond, and an additional 136 members are age 50 and older and have at least 20 years of service. We are seeing many officers leave before they do their full 30 years of service in that band between 20 and 30. So in total, 289 sworn members have the age and years of service for a service retirement. Many of these members were hired in the 90s in conjunction with the Clinton crime bill, And the loss of close to 300 additional sworn members will be catastrophic for the department if we cannot balance the attrition. And we have not been able to balance that attrition at all in the last five years. We are losing members at a far faster rate than we are hiring. And this pattern will continue. And that gap will continue to widen for the next few years unless we are able to do something drastic. Next slide, please. So what does the widening gap in sworn officers mean for the city? And I think this slide says it all. This is the deficit between the recommended sworn staffing baseline and the current staffing levels at the district stations. We are short, very, very short. Mission Station is down 72 sworn. Bayview, 62 sworn. Ingleside, 45 sworn. Even Tenderloin that has received a huge influx of staffing resources is down 24 sworn, despite all that supplementation. Not one station is where they need to be staffing wise. There are only 779 full duty Q2 officers at the district stations as it stands now. And the 2023 Proposition E report preliminarily calls for 1,196 full duty officers at the stations to meet needs. So overall, we are down 417 officers in patrol. This does not even include any of our supervisory deficits. This means that we are able to handle responding to calls for service, the most basic core function of police work, and not a whole lot else. And the calls for service are taking us longer to get to, responses delayed, at times fairly significantly. Everything beyond calls for service has been supplemented by lots and lots of overtime, and this formula is not sustainable. We have bent the officers we have significantly, and we can't afford for them to break. So this is the lay of the land as it relates to SFPD staffing, and I'd like to turn the rest of the presentation over to Deputy Chief Walsh.
10: Good morning, Deputy Chief Peter Walsh, uh, the Administration Bureau. Um, One of my duties is to oversee uh, recruiting and retention in the academy, which is obviously the influx of where we hope to get, whether they be lateral or um, brand new recruits. So if we could go to the next slide. So when we also think about recruits and laterals, this is not just anybody who applies and what we try to do is find people who actually will professionally fit our organization but more importantly become fabric within the community and the city if it was simply about hiring numbers we would not have a background investigations we would not have a team that looks and interviews and goes over people this has to be a fit both ways not just somebody to come in and take a place within SFPD so it becomes a very long process in some cases which goes to competition if you know you're going to get a job somewhere at a faster rate because we put all of these very important uh, criteria on who you are we sometimes lose that race next slide please so this is the historical from 2017 of recruiting within SFPD And what you'll notice in this is the number of applications, which a lot of people say that's really good. But the application, again, goes to the very first step. Is this the person the right fit? Not just with the metrics that were demanded on by state, post, um, but who can physically, mentally, and again, be woven into our department and our community. The second part is the important part. If you look at apps cleared, Those are individuals who've actually taken the written, have done the oral and the physical, and they move to backgrounds. So this year is year to date of 2490, and we have 552 individuals who got through that first hurdle. So what we need to do is make the application pool bigger in order to get better candidates, and that means stretching things. When you look at the next slide, or excuse me, the next uh, column, This year, we have 71 people who we've hired. What happens, though, is now you're in the academy, and you have to get through the academy, and then you have to get through FTO. And this is a significant investment that the city is putting into uh, these individuals. So if you look, entered FTO from that 71 is 27. There are people in the academy that count for that number, but we do have losses and attrition through that. Uh, Time period so our plan is to hire 100 recruits for fiscal year 24 and 120 fiscal year 25 Again hiring also though we need to actually hire more people to keep them So when you if you look back at uh, commander Jones's slides on retirements We we would just be treading water. We need to get ahead of those numbers Next slide. What's also important to the police department and to the city is who are we hiring and how can we best get a representative mosaic of our city? As you look at the recruiting entering the academy by race on this slide, what you'll see is a genuine effort to get the most diverse group of people to come together to work as a team and serve the city. One of the things I'd like to point out that's not necessarily um, evident in this is we are really trying to make a huge push into getting uh, women to join SFPD. And there are programs within that are nationally recognized, and one of them is 30 by 30, which will include trying to get our force to be 30% female, but also spreading that 30% out into units that they might not have actually been in prior. For instance, tactical units, the solo motorcycle units, and things like that. But the demands of reaching those goals, which will benefit the department of the city, also again means hiring and continually being out in a recruiting and retention process to keep those numbers up. These cannot be one and dones. They can't be chopped every fiscal year. They cannot be moved along in the hopes that it's going to happen in the future. It has to be a continuing an evolving process to retain and recruit people to again be part of our team. So, next slide please. So moving into what are we gonna do? Well, obviously some of the things that people are doing throughout the country revolve around money and we can get into that but there are a a bunch of different areas that we'd like to explore and we believe that we can make work to again not just recruit but retain the individuals within our department next slide this year SB 960 modified the government code that has some of the areas within the police department uh, to allow non-citizens but who are here with a legal work Uh, permit visa and these individuals would then be able to be recruited so some good news on that we had approximately 40 people who were automatically disqualified before this uh, because they were not citizens of the United States so DHR who's been a partner and has helped us has actively gone back into these type of files to see if these people are still interested This is an area that we've never explored because the law is so new. But right there, we have 40 people who had the gumption to say, hey, I'm interested in being a San Francisco police officer. We'll also work with the uh, uh, Office of uh, Economics who has also showed interest in uh, going to areas where people who are here may be interested that we've never, ever looked at. So that is one of the things that we're beginning to look at. Next slide, please. So, this is our incentives. Right now in San Francisco, our incentives are guided by our, the San Francisco Police Officer Association MOU. That $5,000 number is strictly for laterals. We offer zero to anybody coming to SFPD. There is no signing bonus, nothing. If you look through uh, all of these different ones, obviously Alameda is, is very high at 75,000 but when you even compare us to other cities especially somebody like Seattle who is comparable into uh, police department size and also comparable in cost of living just to enter they're at 7,500 and for a lateral they're at 30,000. Now the question is how you implement that. Can it be a signing bonus like we all hear about in sports where you get it as soon as you sign on? Is it to get you all the way through to a certain point in Goldberg. Those are all things that we'll uh, need to discuss and plan out, but there is no argument that every department, not every, most departments who need to staff up are trying to recruit people with signing bonuses, whether they be laterals and the, or recruits. The plus to the lateral is you have a proven entity, somebody that has already gone through an academy, that has worked time at a police department and is willing to then come over to the San Francisco Police Department. But how do we do that when we're basically fighting over these same resources? One of the ways is you have to say, here's a bonus for coming to work with us. Next slide, please. This is a uh, Slide that we put in specifically to show how much it costs just for an academy class of 25. It's 3.75 million just for salary and benefits of those recruits. To bring in the staff who needs to train them, because it's not just the academy staff; they have to learn from the experts within our department, whether it be search and seizure, whether it be um, EVOC, which is driving emergency vehicles, the range, etc. You're spending another six hundred thousand. We're paying field training officers on top of that The training uh, again of temporary staff and uh, for at the Academy who we again We have to bring in salaries and benefit their uniform equipment and services that is for 25 recruits it when these numbers are pulled if we go back to when we lost three of four Academy classes there was a budget savings but at the same time there was a deficit if we were to say 75 recruits were missed that was less than the 21 year where that money was pulled than we had in retirements I believe it was 82 so these are baselines when I came in we had 50 people per recruit class we're struggling to get to these 25 right now we have a class of 27 that's holding firm and a class of 23 that should be graduating in February And we're planning to have another class uh, in January some of the recruit Uh, next slide please so these are some baseline numbers just to illustrate some of the things this first one police officer referral incentive program there used to be something similar there is not what this is is one of the biggest recruiters for any police department is its members The people who tell you how great it is to be a police officer, how great it is to be a San Francisco police officer, and to come and work with us. And we have some amazing people who do that, and they're doing that well. This incentive program shows that if you were to offer officers who are not in the recruiting and retention business, that they get somebody through the FTO program, potentially there's a $3,000 bonus for them for that recruiting job. Again, moving down to the hiring bonuses, we offer zero for anybody who's brand new with no law enforcement. So breaking it down, depending what those numbers are, you can see what a uh, class of um, 100, which would hopefully be three or four classes, uh, would get us per. And lastly, the hiring bonuses. The numbers are so big for that is because somebody has made a significant investment in that person to work at whatever department they are in. And we are now asking you to come over, go through a truncated academy class, come into a department you're not necessarily familiar with, but we're gonna take all that knowledge and take everything. We need to get over that hump of people being nervous about going to a new place. Private industry does this all the time. They're recruiting, they have headhunters. There is nothing like that in law enforcement, we've discussed this. There's not a company that looks out outside of the top tiers of police departments on how to get the best officers to come. So one of the issues that we looked at is, again, moving our, reti- our uh, lateral hiring bonuses up to compete with some of the Bay Area national numbers. Next slide, please. Outside of money, there's some innovative programs going on from Hawaii to Long Beach, etc. One of the things that we've looked at is with education is we've partnered with USF and we're in the process of trying to getting a modern policing degree. If we can get you to come to SFPD and we can partner with USF for those of the uh, people who don't have BAs, that we can get you through that program and work with USF to have that. Not only are we getting somebody that gets this benefit who will be with us for several a minimum of several years, but we're getting a better police officer that we're giving effort on the type of police officer because we're co-designing the um, education with USF to again fit in with SFPD and the City of San Francisco another issue that's come up in recruiting has been family wellness relocating costs childcare incentives etc one of the things I do outside of recruiting is I've been in discussions with the sheriff's department with the mayor's office Um, And several other agencies being a police officer is a difficult job Just in time. It can be unpredictable. It's 24 7 depending on your seniority Where you have to be when you have to be there Is there a way for us to come up with providing child care places like San Diego do does it? The issue is is how to evolve around that Do you give the money directly to the officer to find their own child care do you develop a program if that programs developed who has the responsibility of running it it's very complicated but to have these set-asides to have these set-asides when we recruit and hire people and even retain people that they know that there's a safe place to bring their child when we're demanding because we don't have enough officers to come in on the day after Thanksgiving to work uh, to come in on Halloween to come on on these different nights that their family will be taken care of. That's how you build a bond with your employees and your new hires. Recruitment consultation. We're pretty good at what we do. We can all go out there and discuss with people on why you should become a police officer. We don't have the reach. So we've worked with All Star Talent. It is a continuing, again, presence. These type of groups that can help us with advertising and marketing, They need to be in with us for a sustained period of time and not knowing whether or not we'll be able to use them to market SFPD and advertise SFPD, which is their wheelhouse, not ours. We need to have that continual uh, chance at keeping these groups and having a relationship with them in order to adapt and pivot as necessary, instead of worrying about whether or not we'll be able to hire you in the following year. Finally, you've seen some of the videography and photography shoots. A lot of that is done out of house through donations, through different groups and things like that. But one of the things is police officers are always around, and they're always at these events. And if we can somehow do that again uh, and encapsulate what we're capturing with somebody who can professionally do it, it just puts us out there again in a more refined way. Next slide, please. Recruitment hiring and retention so future enhancements one of the major complaints that we've seen is people do not know where they are in the process Guardian Alliance is a uh, system that we've been looking at and I believe we're ready to uh, move forward with where the actual Individuals will not need to consistently try to call their background investigator to see where they are in the process this will be facing to the individual uh, and where they are This is one of the reasons we lose a lot of people. So right now we have approximately, we have one sergeant, one officer, and 2960s who are retired officers who've come in to help do backgrounds. At 2,900, let's say 3,000, spreading that over 20 people and the complexity of background investigations and not working full-time, You're not there to answer your phone calls, you're not there to answer your emails, et cetera. Something like this not only helps the background investigator know where their their um, background talent is, but also at the same time saying, I'm here. So when somebody comes knocking from another department, they know how close they are. Our backgrounds are extensive and they can be long. And so what happens is we lose that battle to smaller agencies who are only looking for several people and they're taking those recruits from our pool um, that we have in, because we can't answer the standard questions in a fast enough way. Adding professional staff, again, this keeps us moving forward with the sense of here are two professional staff, non-sworn, who are going to help develop and retain. We currently have one person who's a retired police officer. They affectionately call him the lateral whisperer, but he's one person. He is able to reach out to other people in other departments to go ahead and get us those quality candidates at the lateral level to move. But one person can't do this. If we're 400, 500 people short and we want to move on this, and again, if the fastest way to do it is laterals, um, then we need more people to help in that. Media and advertising and social media are are self-explanatory. We do not have a professional... Team that is doing that solely dedicated to that. We are all over the board. Every station has a Twitter feed. Every uh, station might have Instagram, etc. But what we need is this reach, this reach that goes nationwide, that is able to help us gather information and put out why SFPD needs you. And that concludes my part- portion.
3: Thank you. Uh, thank you com- to the committee, and we are here for questions, if you have any.
0: Yeah, actually, <clears throat> if I could start, I wanted to ask a little bit about the the, the um, workload-based process. I think you and I had had a conversation about this. I understand that we have to have some kind of data, something that we're measuring, but I will say that uh, one observation I have made in the neighborhood I live in is that there are there are things that people don't call police about today that three or four years ago they might have, um, largely around public drug use. And I, and I worry that there is a, um, things may not be getting better even if calls for service are getting down. And I know that puts us in a situation where we, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But I just would invite you to share your thoughts on that. I know we have to have a methodology
3: yeah, thank you for that question because it is a very, very important question. There are things that don't register on the cost for service uh, scale that we do day in and day out, and that's one of them. I mean, that the open air drug market, uh, Tenderloin, Soma, um, is very resource intensive, and it's really hard to get a handle on a, a metrics to deploy for that because it's it's. It's very fluid uh, for instance we put officers you name the, the block where there's uh, reports or visible signs of drug dealing drug use and that block might clear up when the officers are there but usually the problem displaces to somebody else's block and it takes really constant and consistent deployment to deal with that issue and, and that's on top of of anything that we do enforcement wise arrest or or you know operations to arrest drug dealers Um, it just takes a presence just to really try to clean up a block when you have that issue that is so pervasive and so it's really hard for us to to look at calls for service or even arrest statistics, statistics to determine what the deployment is is it's really getting a feel and talking to the captain and really determining what's going to be the de- best tactic of the day to deal with that issue from a day-to-day basis and from a long-term basis so that is not going to show up and calls for service necessarily we do get some calls we, re- we receive some calls for that <clears throat> But a lot of that is um, you go to a community meeting, for instance, and the public, you know, vents their frustration on this is happening in my neighborhood. What are you doing about it? And that goes back to the captain, and the captain has to pull officers normally off the sector cars or create overtime detail to deal with that issue. Another issue is um, what we're trying to do with organized retail theft. You know, we have switched to a tactic that's been successful so far, where we actually collaborating with retailers and we we actually have officers making arrests inside the stores that's not something that we did in the past but it's very necessary right now but it it takes a great deal of staffing and we'll get we'll get a feel for it for instance in the past year we've made over 250 of those types of arrests Um, but it's resource intensive it's, it takes staffing. It's not going to show up in the calls for service necessarily, because oftentimes retailers don't even call if it doesn't meet a certain threshold. So when we get to the store and we do an operation and within an hour, we arrest six, seven, 10 people, it's not necessarily going to show up in the calls for service statistics. So those types of things are really, um, the reason that we all are here as law enforcement professionals to, to add that to the equation because it's not going to show up, but it's a necessary deployment. We have to have that type of deployment, and it takes us to really recognize what we're looking at and, and come up with strategies to deal with that issue.
0: There was a point that um, struck me when I was looking at the, um, the bonuses and the comparison with other cities. Um, you had mentioned that um, you know, we are dealing with a generational cohort of police officers hired during the Clinton administration when there was a lot of federal funding for local governments. I think Bill Clinton campaigned in 1992 on putting 100,000 cops on the street. I went back and just checked that. It ended up being more than that. It was about closer to 125,000 cops, and everybody is coming. This is a generation that's coming up on retirement age, so we're in a competitive environment. The numbers obviously say that we're not competing as well as we might be doing. Separate from the money, and I don't know if there's a way to answer this, my concern is, is there a narrative that San Francisco is undervaluing the contributions of law enforcement personnel that's putting us at a disadvantage competitively? I know you speak to uh, chiefs of police around the country. And if there is a narrative that San Francisco needs to address, um, is that something you think this charter amendment could help do?
3: I do believe that would be a positive impact of this amendment. Um, there is that narrative out there. You know, whether it's deserved or not, it's out there. Um, and we, we have to turn that around. If you're making a decision whether you're going to join this police department or some other department, large or small, uh, those types of things matter. You know you want to go somewhere where you feel like you're being supported you want to go somewhere where you feel like you know, your work has value and if those things don't exist where you don't feel like you're going to be supported where you don't feel like your work is valued you're probably not going to choose that department over a department where those things are in the positive mm-hmm. so yes um, that is that is a reality that we're dealing with and I and hopefully we'll con- I do think it's swinging I think it's turning around I think there are uh, particularly recently, a lot more outwardly vocal um, voices of support.
0: And then my last question is just about on the recruitment and um, hiring retention enhancements, things that programmatically um, San Francisco can be doing um, to get people through, the more applicants through the process, Um, one thing that, I think was important in developing this proposed charter amendment was not to be overly prescriptive to give you the resources as a department to whether it's bonuses or programs or strategies scholarships anything that you can do. There's there's one anecdotal um, thing that I thought was interesting um, that I have heard that. Our emphasis on local and diversity hiring is often hamstrung by the fact that we have statewide standards for driving for example that may put local people who young San Franciscans who are growing up here take Muni and uber and bike share and other things and may not have the driving skills like are there programs that you could be creative to make sure that we're getting more people through the Academy and through FTO to successfully become police officers
3: Yes, absolutely, and that that would be another impact. I mean, and we have started to do some of those things, um, particularly the driving. You know, we were losing a lot of of recruits to driving, and we started to turn around, but there's definitely more that can be done to put us in a more competitive uh, environment. We want to be as best we can in a position where when we do recruit somebody and they decide to join this police department, that we give them every tool to be successful you know, driving and courses that m- may be offering some, some pre-driving, uh, pre-academy um, offerings of, of supporting people who, who need that support w- would be helpful. Now, we want to get return on the investment. So, as Deputy Chief Walsh said, I mean, a lot of that's in the structure of how that would be uh, planned out, but definitely it would help those types of issues. Uh, we have to have the fluidity to make adjustments. You know, as this environment becomes more and more competitive, five, six years ago, signing bonuses were not what they are today. And, and that's, that has evolved. Even, you know, uh, an advertising budget, you know, we're seeing local departments every time I turn on the TV, you know, I'm seeing some of our local competitors on TV uh, advertising come to our department. So those types of things matter. And if we don't have the ability to turn the page quickly, we lose our competitive advantage.
0: Great. Thank you. And uh, Vice Chair Walton.
3: Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey and
11: Chief Scott, Deputy Chief Walsh, and Commander Jones, thank you for the presentation. Um, I do have a few questions just really around resources. First, how much money are we spending on academies right now? Let me. Uh... Defer or that. or I, I guess I should say, what's the cost
3: per academy? Yeah, let me defer that to directly Leon.
12: Thank you, Supervisor
3: Walton. We do have a slide within the
12: presentation deck um, that describes the different categories. Uh, it is pretty representative of the cost that we have right now. We have been averaging approximately academy classes of 25. Within um, Within the slide deck, just find out what page that is. I'm sorry? Yes. Slide 19 describes the different categories, cost categories of a, an academy class of 25.
11: And what's considered a full class?
12: Historically, a full class has been 50. Uh, In most recent times, we've been within this last couple of months. Our academy classes have averaged between 20 and 25.
11: Kind of need a real answer because we're talking about policy here. We're talking about millions of dollars. Like, what are we considering a full class? Like, if we're going to say we have to have a certain number of officers, then we should be able to say what a full class is. Well.
3: we have goals in our, our hiring goal this year we wanted to have hundred officers so if we have four classes that's going to be 25 uh 25 officers per class however if we get 30 and we have the budget to hire 30 you definitely we would we would do that and take the officers that you know that have gone through the process and and have been approved we the projection as the years go on is to increase that number um, and so the classes hopefully will increase in size. I don't know if we'll ever get back to 50 in the next couple of years But that's our goal Pete.
10: Yeah, I would just like to add supervisor the reason it's uh, a, a moving
3: target And if you go
10: to the slide that talks about how many applications we get and how many people have moved forward into uh, the next phase and then going through backgrounds it it becomes a um, It becomes a um, you know truncated uh, it gets smaller a, as that number we would love to have classes of 50, like when I came in. So the class that we have in currently that just started in, in September is 27. That was based on our ability, our ability to get our background people to get those through. And just as a side point that's not on the side, some of the issues that we run into, um, when you go through that um, background, you have to take a polygraph, a psych, and a medical. Well. Those are finite resources too. And I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about the people that we've hired to do them through contracts, et cetera. So we start bottlenecking. And because we've been in this low kind of and slow hiring process, because we haven't had the numbers, we're now seeing as we're picking up that we're probably going to have to expand those resources, too. So it's not to dance around the number. It's how much can we get through this stream of applicants, and can we make that wider? And it hits many different um, hurdles as it goes through.
9: And i just like to add that the reason that we do it this way is because if we don't hire them right away, somebody else will. So we need to get everybody that we have into a class as quickly as possible. Because if we don't, they're getting hired by San Jose, they're getting hired by Alameda, they're getting hired by literally every other jurisdiction in the Bay Area that is hiring. And we've found that we have to keep that readily available and we'll move, we put as many people as we can into the class that are ready that um, Deputy Chief Walsh spoke to. But if we don't do that, we lose a competitive edge that we cannot afford to.
11: Well, no, and I I definitely understand, you know, that you can't guarantee a certain number per class and everything, which is why, to me, even minimum qualifications or minimum number of staffing is arbitrary because you can't guarantee uh, the number of folks who will be coming into the department. Just no way to do that. And you have said that uh, numerous times in the conversation and during the presentation. So to even have a minimum number of officers in a charter amendment is just not achievable.
9: But I think that the minimum number of officers is really speaking to the workload. So we know, and this kind of also touches upon the question that we were talking about with open air drug markets, right? That 30% of time that is unallocated is critical to do tasks like that. And the minimum number is based on all of the things that we need and the the data and That's why the minimum says that we need 2074. Got it. Yeah.
11: Understand that, but there's still no way to guarantee that or no way to enforce that because your numbers are going to happen depending on who wants to be a police officer. Numbers are going to happen depending on if they qualify and go through the process and make it through. So we can put, we need 10,000 officers or 20,000 officers, but the reality of it is you can't guarantee you'll ever get that number.
9: But I think that that's what we have to work towards. Back in 2008, we went through you know, a recession in the economy. And when we went through that recession, they stopped hiring. We have never recovered from 2008. When we were just getting close into 2018, we were getting close to 1,971. That was the number that we were targeting at that time. We didn't have matrix consulting. So we were just starting to crest up. And then everything went back down again. We had the COVID pandemic and um, the murder of George Floyd and many other things that had a, a tremendous impact on law enforcement staffing. You know, so I think that it's a mistake to not consistently staff like and target staffing towards the police department because we are not able to recover from those times when we go, when we, when we aren't hiring anybody. And. We saw this coming back in 2018. We knew that we were going to have this large group of people who was going to be retirement eligible and that we needed to stop the bleeding. And there were things that happened, like I just described, that no one saw coming and made everything just that much worse. So now, I think what we're asking for is to be at a certain level because that level is what the department needs. It's the goal that we're hoping to achieve. And we wanna have the assurance that we will be able to hire as many people as possible as we can, as we can bring in.
11: Well, no, I, I just yeah. wanna be transparent with the public that you know the police department has goals on hiring. Department of Public Health has goals on hiring. MTA certainly has goals on hiring and, and number of staffing levels. But there's just no way to guarantee that, and I want to make sure we're honest with the public while we're having this conversation. Um, I do like isn't it true we already provide bonuses for yeah. for officers now?
9: No, the only bonus that we provide is the five thousand for the lateral police officers.
11: so that's not a bonus
9: That's a bonus for laterals, so those are people who have already been in law enforcement. so for new recruits which are the bulk of our hiring, there's nothing.
11: and then there was a mention about diversifying the force and there was conversation about being able to hire more women I saw the slide on the ethnic breakdown and race but I didn't see anything that says what the current status of
10: women in the department is or what those numbers are yeah we're still at approximately uh, 15 to 16 percent and even during the hiring we just did a, a look back even during the hiring crisis where we weren't getting people we were still maintaining that number through that so we basically are looking, potentially, you would have to double that recruitment outreach, but we're at about 15, 16%. I,
11: and, I, and I definitely just want to say one, I appreciate the report, and if we're gonna base policy on data, you know, we have to be consistent, right? We can't say we're basing policy on data, but then say what I'm observing in the street, or what's, like, it, we can't have it both ways. We're gonna to have to make decisions either based on data or we're going to have to make decisions based on anecdotal conversation, but we can't have it both ways as we try to look at our deficit that we're facing over the next couple of years as we try to staff up all city departments. I just want to make sure that you know either we're talking about data or we're talking about anecdotal
10: um, purposes for how we move forward. I would, I'll, I'd like to just point out one thing. Uh, Commander Jones has my former job uh, over at MTA Special Operations. Um, at its height, motorcycle officers were around 60. Uh, Sandra Feuer, when was the supervisor, wanted to push that to 80. That's just the motorcycle officers. When I left, and Nicole can correct me if I'm wrong, we were at 25. So when you see data that we're not taking in traffic fatalities, in the fact that we're pulling those officers from their motorcycle duties to go to Cap Street to enforce laws, I had to pull them along with the Muni K9 units to move them to do clearing of tunnels such as West Portal, Twin Peaks, because gate operators couldn't get gates up in the morning. We're using all of these resources for things that do not represent a call for service. We're using these resources for not what their intention is. So I've been up here with Supervisor Mandelman trying to explain why we cannot get back up to tens of thousands of tickets in our current That there's data. There's a negative But I can't necessarily prove to you that if I have more police officers in in what you're asking that um, It's not going to work out The, the issue is we are pulling people from all different units from core functions that people care about Homeless outreach that units almost decimated. There's no more muni task force meaning for the Muni riders, police officers riding around. Um, there's no Muni investigations, which only handled crimes on Muni. So those things are what are dissipating when we don't have enough officers to fill patrol. No,
11: and I, I definitely understand that, Deputy Chief Walsh. And that's actually a, a big part of my frustration, too, when I'm working with the captains in my district. And you know, fortunately, homicides and certain violent crimes have gone down over the years, but we've had some up and down patterns recently, but officers are steadily taken away from our communities where we can say more of the violence exists and gone to areas to protect property, et cetera. And so you know, as we talk about even trying to increase number of officers, and you just described the fact that officers are pulled from this this, this um, area of the city to other areas to respond to certain types of crimes. It's always been problematic that we don't get the community policing we need uh, in Bayview, Hunters Point, the Sunnydale community. And we're talking about officers that spend time in community, that know everyone, that are walking the beat. And that's always been a problem. So you know, when we talk about increasing, none of those increases ever come to the Bayview district or Ingleside. They always go to other areas of like San Francisco. Which, you know, we can one hundred percent say is inequitable for the southeast sector of San Francisco, and that's unfortunate.
3: Yeah, so I, I would just offer this uh, to, to your point: two things. A lot of when you look at the staffing analysis, there's a there's a, a factor of like thirty percent of proactive time, and a lot of the things that we're talking about are supposed to that thirty percent helps us police those issues, the issues that we, we, you know, we like, like right now, r- war protests are happening. And every time we have one, we have to send a bunch of officers there to, to, to deploy to make sure that we keep peace in these protests. Um, that's not necessarily going to show up on a call, but that, that available time is, is then soaked up for that. The problem that we're having right now is that when every station is short, that 30% gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So you don't have that available time. To your uh, comments about Southeast San Francisco you know it's not going to show up in the stats but it is a part of that 30 percent about a month ago we I would say avoided a potential bloodbath with what was going on across the Bay and fortunately for us at least to this point even though a lot of the individuals who were killed in in the East Bay Uh, Had San Francisco ties. We were able to not have that happen in our city There was a lot of work being done that won't show up in calls for service uh, That helped us kind of keep things and and from happening here in in our city So we do move those resources around supervisor. What we're offering here today is it makes it really really hard to do that with a shrinking police force uh, because every station is short, and then your time ends up where it should be responding to calls for service, and that 30% goes away. And that's why we have to use overtime and other things to, to modify and make adjustments. But I say all that to say, it is baked into the deployment um, our deployment projections, but when you don't have enough officers, that proactive 30% time disappears.
11: Well, no, and, and one, I wanna thank you know, SFPD and law enforcement just across the region for the work that they're doing to address some of the violence that's happening from county to county, I mean that, that's definitely important. I would also say a lot of that work is happening with you know, street violence intervention prevention team, other folks on the ground working with law enforcement to try to address the violence because you, you can't do this by yourself. Right. Um, and you know, I think that's something that we also need to be having a conversation about, about addressing the systemic issues about everything that goes into public safety Uh, the police force is not the end all be all of how we're going to keep communities safe. And we also have to be having conversations about that. And the last thing I'll just say is as we look at the numbers of individuals wanting to come to academies, and this is not just for San Francisco, there are a lot of people, um, or there is for some reason, a lot of people don't want to be police officers anymore. Uh, and there are various reasons we've had conversations about that, but I would just say, you know, it would be great if relationships were developed in a positive manner within our schools, with within our communities, with law enforcement, and with young people, particularly young people of color, so that we could, so that young people of color would trust officers and want to one day become a police officer that kind of work has to happen. You have to be intentional about that. And I know there are things that are happening, but we can keep saying, you know, we, we got to throw money at this and throw money at that. But the reality of it is, if there's a feeling of being excited about wanting to be a police officer, which has to happen with culture change, which has to happen with officers spending time and having positive interactions and connections, particularly with young people, if we want a future where folks want to be police officers. When When I was growing up, People talked about being police officers all the time. That's not the case, and we're not filling the academies. And so just to say, <laughs> let's have an arbitrary number of staffing, just to say let's put out arbitrary amount of resources is not gonna fill academy classes.
3: Yeah, th- thank you for that. I-, I will say this, and this is a, a positive to your point. Um, yesterday I was at an event and talked to a young man uh, from-, from your district actually. He participated in the Batters Up, Guns Down, that you participated, I was there, where San Francisco police officers are playing softball with community softball team. Because of the relationships from that interaction, he is now in the process of being hired for our police department. So I think that illustrates your point. And we will continue to do those types of things, but you make a great point. It's really about relationships too, but we have to have the people to do that because the community engagement unit really took the bull by the horns on this one and followed up with him and he's now f- far in the process and we hope to have him hopefully in this next academy. But um, I, I think that illustrates your point.
11: I think that is the strategy though. If we want more people to want to be police officers or any, any job, the more positive interactions that they're having in the community, that's really the answer. You know, we can create so many other things, but it's really that
0: simple. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Walton and Supervisor Safai.
13: Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chief, and others. I hope you're going to stay around for after public comment. I, I'm going to save my questions and comments until after the public have spoken so I can, a lot of people are waiting here, so it'll be good. But I have a number of things that I w- I'd like to ask you all and go over with you.
3: I, I, I will stay around. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Before we go to public comment, I want to briefly briefly, um, outline the amendments. Um, The charter amendment process invites a lot of input and feedback, as you might expect, and um, much of that is reflected in the amendments that I will outline, and that I will move for adoption after public comment. Um, First, as noted earlier- Chair, have you sent
13: us those amendments? Pardon? Have you sent us those
0: amendments? I think I did, but let me hand those to you. There you go. Are they highlighted? Yes, and they've been emailed. First, as I noted earlier, in line with the uh, second Prop e staffing analysis that will be published later this month, on page four we have adjusted the minimum staffing number from 2182 to 2074. Uh, we adjusted each annual target downward by 100 officers beginning at 1,700 and then ending with 20, 2074 in fiscal year 2028 and 29. Yep. Chair, do you have the line? Uh, oh. Yeah, it's on page four. What line? Hang on a second. You know?
11: It's not in red.
0: Yeah, it's not highlighted. Let me ask my team to get the. uh,
1: If if you don't mind, I'd like to remind the audience to please turn off your cell phones. If anybody would like to translate that request, it would be appreciated to us. Yeah. Please turn off all your cell phones or turn off your ringers. Thank you.
0: So on page four at line. Beginning on line seven, the police staffing numbers. Oh, got it. Uh, Second, on page five, we adjusted the process for establishing the minimum staffing number after the initial five-year period. In the event the commission recommends a reduction in the minimum number of officers, the chief may request that the board of supervisors review the commission's action and by majority vote override the proposed reduction. Um, Third, on page eight, we adjusted subsection B, the purpose of the fund, to clarify that the fund will be uh, for additional resources to the department that will be used exclusively to support full staffing, as broadly defined. And fourth, we added clarifying amendments to the fund section on the last page to enable private philanthropic uh, donations as the source of revenue into the full staffing fund should those donations become available. Uh, We also clarified the language to enable the fund to exist beyond the initial five-year period at the board's discretion, should additional philanthropic funds be available to support the department's staffing needs. So I want to thank you for your consideration, colleagues, and I will ask to get um, color-coded versions of these brought into chambers. So I want to thank you uh, for your consideration, and I will make a motion to adopt these um, after public comment and now uh, as for public comment we have um, this isn't the only item on the agenda but i know there's other topics that are all high interest we have many members of the public here to participate to facilitate this meeting to the extent possible i want to make ask if we can limit public comment to one minute um and so mr clerk um, can we open up item one to public comment
1: uh, yes members of the, of the public who wish to speak on item number one should line up to speak at this time by the windows Each speaker will be allowed one minute to speak. There will be a soft chime when you have 30 seconds left and a louder chime when your time has expired. Thank you. You you may proceed.
14: Good morning, my name is Mary Harris, president of All My Neighbors in Action. I support Supervisor Drawers' full staffing amendment for San Francisco PD and hope you will vote to put it on the March 2024 ballot. We cannot regain San Francisco's reputation as a place to live, work, visit or shop Supervisor Dorsey's five-year plan can help restore our police department and add in recruitment with a signing bonus as Alameda offers. I was recently at a meeting where they asked attendees how many experienced car break-ins or home break-ins and it was more than half the room. And and they didn't even ask if they knew someone that had a break-in, it probably would have been the whole room. So at the same meeting, they talked about police staffing. I know at Terravel, we're at 71%, and it's the largest geographic area. So I hope that you will all vote and recommend to go to the Board of Supervisors so we can get this on the March ballot and not have to get signatures and wait all the way to November. Thank you very much.
15: Hi, uh, my name is George Wooding. Um, The neighborhoods must have a full police force. Uh, We are paying for it. This is a bill set aside that will tie up an open-ended set aside from the general fund. This is a very dangerous process as it also removes other funds for different projects. We anticipate this year a $500 million deficit. Um, Where will we get the funds for this set aside? And to contradict the police, they were always asking about how many recruits they had. I think it's very important that you should know of the last three classes, they graduated 17, two, uh, after graduation, two quit immediately. The next class, 17, Thank you. graduated, and speaker, the last class— Your
1: speaker time has elapsed. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisor. My name is Henry Kornelowitz. I uh, co-chair the Chief Small Business Advisory Forum. Uh, with the staffing level it is right now, we're finding that we don't get the police out there uh, quick enough because the so starting so low when there is a crime going on in action. So what happens is that, you know, the uh, suspect decides, oh, the cops aren't here and the cops get this too late and he's on his way or she's on his way to, to another place where they could take advantage of someone. So I really support this charter and I hope you supervise will also. Thank you. Thank you.
16: Hello, my name is Shelley Costantini. As a resident and homeowner, I fully support Supervisor Dorsey's charter amendment. This proposal would put a minimum staffing number back into the charter and dedicate funds to recruitment over a five-year plan. If we don't prioritize uh, police recruiting now, we can't possibly fix it. Government has to make a lot of tough decisions when the economy slows down, but we have known this staffing crisis was brewing for 20 years. And have taken no action. We simply can't trust City Hall to fix this on their own. Give voters the chance to prioritize public safety. It's time we have a fully staffed police department. I'm going to skip here as the lead volunteer of the Rincon Hill dog park. We've seen a significant decrease in the neighbors wanting to bring their dogs to the park since our regular officers have stopped coming by as frequently. People just don't feel safe and the park gets trashed by the transient folks. I've been physically attacked as well as my other volunteers and it's just not okay. Let's get more police in our city right now. Thank you.
17: Good morning. My name is Isabella Gomide. Uh the city of San Francisco has the highest general revenue per capita of any city in the United States, and yet is ranked one of the worst managed city in the US. So just to me like you know, when you see what's happening in the city, it's and I know we're going through a problem recession with all the um, offices and business they're not they're leaving the city. So but you look around and said where all the money goes. I paid myself over between the properties that I have, over forty thousand dollars in property tax in the city. And yet we have we don't have city on the streets. I have an apartment in the in the soma that I cannot rent because as I was with People on the streets, drug users, and we call the police, and they they can't do everything because they are short-handed. So we need to support this amendment and bring more police to the city of San Francisco. Thank you.
18: If we can't fix public safety and the negative perception of San Francisco, then we can't fix anything else here. There's no need to discuss foot patrols, which I do support, by the way before ensuring that SFPD has the staffing it requires. We need to prioritize hiring more officers to do all the things San Francisco needs, from fighting car theft and break-ins and smash and grabs to putting officers on the beat to build those relationships that are being discussed. We need more officers before we need anything
19: else. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Alan Burr-Adel, District 8. Supervisor Dorsey, thank you for this initiative that you're taking. Uh, I'm here to support Supervisor Dorsey's ballot measure. I heard a question here this morning. Uh, Is there a narrative specific to San Francisco that says we are undervaluing our police officers? And I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. That's why we're here today. We are totally undervaluing our police officers. Uh, I think uh, I also heard another comment. It would be nice if more effort was made by police officers to strengthen relationships with members of the public. Well, it would be nice if supervisors would stop describing SFPD community outreach efforts like ice cream with a cop as propaganda. That's not helpful. Thank you very much again. Supervisor Dorsey for this effort and we look forward to supporting this ballot measure in March. Thank you
20: Hello Steven Johnson from district 11 uh, First of all I'd like to say that the police are the people you call when there's blood on the ground When there's no one else you call the cops. They are the heroes of our society like Theseus who cleared the, the sea of monsters They are our heroes. There should be no need to motivate people. Money's good, you gotta give them money. I entirely support uh, uh, Supervisor Dorsey here. But what's wrong here is what kids are being taught in school. Number one, police are a weapon of white supremacy. Number two, looting is a form of income redistribution. We have got to get people involved. And you know all these grandmas out here, you know they have cell phones. We gotta get them calling up the media. And the school district, they need to show up at these school board meetings and be sure that their kids are taught something. I had a kid, uh, I teach U.S. history, uh, fifth grade. All he knew about George Washington is what he owned slaves. I asked him, did you know that George Washington set his fl- slaves free? He didn't know that, didn't know anything else. Okay.
2: Thank you, Chair Dorsey and C members of the committee. My name is Chairman Hernandez-Gill, and I'm here to voice our support for an amendment charter amendment on behalf of the dedicated members and leadership of SEIU Local 1021. Public safety remains a paramount concern for the thousands of members of SCIU within SEIU Local 1021. It is our firm belief that an unfunded set aside only serves to exacerbate the challenges faced by San Francisco in terms of public services, subsequently contributing to heightened insecurity. We find it impossible to endorse a amendment that as per con- the controller's estimates could increase cost by up to $300 million, especially when the mayor is advocating for mid-year and early cuts to other essential services that are critical for public safety. We firmly believe that without a new source of revenue to fund this proposal, it will hinder our economic progress. Additionally, we propose expanding the amendment scope to encompass workers like those within our membership who serve at the 911 dispatch center. These dedicated individuals have been grappling with an oh. alarmingly high vacant. Thank you, your time is expired.
6: Buenos dias, I'm Karina Velazquez, board member of Stop Crying SF, a local organization that advocates for public safety and victims of crime with over 5,000 members. We support the full staffing for San Francisco PD proposed by Supervisor Dorsey because it offers short, medium, and long-range solutions to quickly fill the current gaps in personnel while making retention and recruitment possible and probable. San Francisco has prioritized public safety because we understand how vital it is to the success of businesses, tourism, public transportation, and importantly, to quality of life for residents. Please listen to your constituents, whoever repeatedly requested more funding for the police and more staffing for San Francisco PD. Thank you. And with love and gratitude, I yield my time.
21: <laughs> I love that. Good morning, um, <clears throat> members of the Rules Committee. My name is Charlotte Wooster, and I'm a lifelong, everyday San Franciscan. I'm here to express my total support for Supervisor Dorsey's proposed charter amendment for full staffing of the SFPD. Please vote to send this amendment to the full board with your recommendation. Full staffing of our police force is imperative to counter the downward spiral of our beloved city. Criminals' brazen disregard for the law, along with rampant drug dealing and vagrancy, have severely diminished the safety of this city. That's the truth. The current status quo is a systematic assault on the well-being and morale of us all. We don't just want change, we demand it. This amendment is an essential start, thank you.
12: A world-class city deserves a world-class police force. San Francisco is suffering from numerous ailments today, including drug dealing, vehicular break-ins, and business theft. A critical part of the solution to these issues is a fully staffed police force. At a recent town hall, Captain Luke Martin of Southern Station mentioned that the entirety of his district Is being controlled by around six officers during a typical day shift. Anyone who lives in this city and in this neighborhood in particular knows that this level of policing is far below what is needed to deal with some of the issues that we are faced with today. I live on Mission Street near the Federal Building whose corner at 7th and Mission has become nationally infamous due to the extensive drug dealing that's rampant there. I urge all the supervisors to approve this amendment, uh, provide our officers with the support they need, and get this city back on the
1: right track. Thank you. Uh, If you don't mind just delaying one moment, we'll allow this group to leave the room so we can hear you better. You can come up, but just give us a moment to clear the room then there won't be so much disruption.
8: Okay, at your... Thank you. Good morning, still. Uh, My name is Carly Matthews, and thank you for hearing us today. As a resident of the Richmond district since 1997 and an immigrant from Canada, I have been so distraught by what I've seen in our city that I recently obtained citizenship so that I can use my vote, voice, and signature to be part of the change I'd like to see in 2024. Shortening this up, clearly there is no respect For the law, our city lacks law and order, and San Francisco is fast becoming the Gotham City of America, full of destruction, drugs and death noted by people all over the world. And if we need help and we call 911, SFPD may not be available in time, if at all. Since the devastation of Union Square in 2020 and the demoralizing defunding of our police, our officers have lacked the necessary resources, tools, and staff to adequately serve and protect us. I have seen the exhaustion in their eyes from working around the clock. They have been politically handcuffed by governing bodies, and taxpayers, like myself, and tourists have grown tired of this. Drastic change is needed. Each one of us today represents a 1,000 more voters. Speaker
1: time has elapsed.
22: Black Lives Matter, defund the police, my name is Jordan, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. I want to say first that there are many people who are impacted by over-policing and criminalization that will result from this ballot initiative if it passes, who will not be able to speak because you motherfuckers shut off remote public comment. But on topic, fuck the bullshit-ass police staffing charter amendment. Back in 2020, we all had a reckoning around policing after the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis filth, and we've decided that public funding should go to life-affirming services like mental health, housing, jobs, etc. But now, we're giving the police a fucking PR rehabilitation. We're sending them after black, brown, indigenous, Muslim, disabled, and transgender people again. Is this what you fucking want? Because I think it's bullshit. And criminologists in a recent Reuters article even think that more police doesn't lead to more safeties. You are a disgrace. Lick my cunt and choke it on it. I yield my time. Fuck you.
23: Good morning, my name is Sandra Duarte and I represent Rudy Gonzalez of the San Francisco Building Trades Council and co-chair of the Public Employee Committee. Compared to current budgeted staffing, which we cannot even fill, this measure would blow an unfunded hole of 300 million in the next five years. The charter would also require an additional 16.8 million in 2024, 2025. The city just called for mid-year and early cuts to basic services. Without a new source, of revenue this will set our sf economy backwards the building trades of many public employee unions support a fully staffed and funded police department but this cannot happen in a vacuum we need to address public safety comprehensively and include 911 excuse me operators behavior health workers firefighters nurses and paramedics this is precedent for connecting a new staffing measure to new revenue and we did so with sf mental health please continue this matter to work on this matter with pec and address funding public safety with the revenue thank you
24: may I begin yes hi my name is Jasmine Nazari I was born and raised in San Francisco I was a proud San Franciscan I'm of Persian descent and I worked for 10 years to be able to afford my first apartment in Soma Little did I know that you all as supervisors, along with the Planning Commission, decided to turn SOMA, the Tenderloin, and the Mission, as well as the Bayview-Hunters Point, into the toilet bowl and the containment zone of most of San Francisco's problems, including drugs, drug dealing, and homelessness. We are preparing to launch a class action lawsuit if you all do not take the measures to make us feel safe. I do not feel safe in this town. I'm tired of it and you're affecting my mental health with your inaction and lack of support. I'm tired of it. Do something.
0: If I could ju- just, um, normally the, cu- the custom is to just quietly uh, indicate your support with jazz hands, um, but if we could refrain from clapping, that would be all right, thanks.
25: Good morning, I'm Marley Tran, a retired bilingual teacher of immigrant students and a board member of Stop Crime San Francisco, as well as several other hardworking organizations. I'm here on behalf of many, many residents to fully support Supervisor Dorsey's proposed charter amendment, especially after seeing the critical data presented by our police department. I started my volunteer community work in Visitation Valley in District 10 over 30 years ago because crime was very rampant and many of our non-English speakers, especially seniors, were victims of crime. I still grieve for several of my former students who were homicide victims. For the love of our great city, let's vote for the practical and viable solution to make San Francisco a safer city for all. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mayna Young. I'm
18: a 40-year resident of San Francisco and a board member of Business Housing Network. We have thousands of members of immigrants, small businesses, mom and pops. And we feel that our livelihoods are threatened and we cannot survive in San Francisco with the the crime problems. Uh, I cannot go to get my medicine in my neighborhood. I have to travel miles and lost a nearby wall screen. But I can see a nearby uh, free fentanyl sign, just a few steps. So that's not acceptable. So we need to support some charter amendment. Unfortunately, we need to come to this point that we cannot count on you to make the right decisions. We need to enforce it in the charter amendment. So please make it happen and set up a minimum response time for for the police uh, uh, requirements. We need some accountable measures. Thank you.
2: Good afternoon. My name is Jay Connor B. Ortega and I'm co-president of Iconic D3. In 2020, the Board of Supervisors, including now Assemblymember Haney, put politics over people and voted to defund the police, not with a single justification as to why we need to give up our safety other than supervisors making criminals happy. Ever since then, crime has shut up dramatically, and we have seen so many people die from assaults, murders, robberies, and post attacks. This board has struggled with the right the wrongs by trying to add funding but I miss the main problem which is just to have more SFPD officers so yes the blood of those who die in our city because of criminals are indeed on your hands if you don't support this legislation thank you
26: good afternoon supervisors Marie Harabiel, native San Franciscan. Uh, I am on the board of Stop Crime Action and uh, co-founder of SOAR. I am here to fully, wholeheartedly support this proposed charter amendment. Without public safety, we do not have society. For me, I think the police in our city do a great job. And I have watched it become less and less available to us as we are losing people. I had someone try to break into my house about a year and a half ago. I caught them, and I said, I'm calling the police. And his reaction was to laugh and say, go ahead. Do you know how terrifying that is for a citizen to feel like there is no public safety structure around them. We need this charter amendment. Thank you so much.
9: Good afternoon,
10: Supervisors. I'm Richard Perino, a lifelong San Francisco, 78 years old. I'm here to represent seniors and veterans in the city of San Francisco. As you well know, there are Asian folks and those of us in our community who have been assaulted and mugged. I have been in the last nine months. I represent those folks that want you to support Mr. Dorsey's charter amendment. We need more police officers to protect this most vulnerable part of our population. Please support him on behalf of Asian seniors and seniors like me. Thank you so much.
27: Hello, my name is Leah McGeever. I live in D six at, Mich- at Market and Seventh Street. Um, billionaires Elon Musk and Mark Benioff also support this amendment. Benioff specifically said, "Yes, we must refund the police. It's the key to safe and cl- to a safe and clean society. Safe for who?" Clean from what? And safe from what? Homelessness? Wage theft? Police brutality? Another murder of a black or indigenous person by SFPD where the police officer won't be held accountable? We do not need this charter change. We had more than enough police for the Skate Hill bomb, which should never have happened. I see police every day. Half a dozen at least show up for the most petty shit like fair evasion. How did we go from George Floyd's murder in 2020 and the demands to defund the, defund the police for our safety to this refunding the police? For who exactly? Do right by the people and vote no on this charter amendment. Thank you.
28: There's a really simple way to increase response times, and that is to fund the Compassionate Alternate Response Team, um, which $3 million in funds was already allocated, and the mayor refused to allow it to be distributed to that program. Um, that program would handle the about 10,000 um, calls a month of level C responses. It would take these level C responses away from the police. Um, these are when there is no present or potential danger to life or property. Um, and in these situations, why do we need police? You know, uh, this would reduce the the responsibilities of the police department and would focus them on these issues that people seem so concerned about. Um, and I really can't think of any rational reason why we would spend three hundred million dollars on this budget proposal as opposed to like maybe ten million on a humane response. I yield not- <laughs> my
29: I'm here to um, support, fully support funding the police. I think there's a great urgency, not only to fund the police resources and whatever they can do to help restore law and order in this city for the future, but we need some action now. Lawlessness is lawlessness, anarchy is anarchy, and at present, illegal acts and safety are not being addressed in my neighborhood, the lower Polk Street neighborhood. Calls for help are not being answered or delayed for weeks. Basic goods and services are not being met. Drug activity continues unchecked. Open drug sales and usage are out of control. There are persons in altered states on almost every block. Not only because of this illegal activity, but we have, we have many levels of crime and unfortunately that needs to be prioritized and police need to respond and, and respond to every call equally without discrimination and priority. But because of limited resources, they cannot reach the calls. I believe the time has passed that we have these debates and fully do
1: what we can to support law enforcement. Speaker time has elapsed. Thank you. Your minute has elapsed. Thank you. Yes. Thank you.
23: Hi, my name is Tanika and I am a homeowner in the South of Market District and Supervisor Matt Dorsey's district. I want to say I'm standing here in attendance in supporting Matt Dorsey's charter amendment to support SFPD as a new homeowner and a victim of several attempts of home invasion and encountering with SFPD Matt Dorsey has been definitely supportive in coming and listening to the homeowner's uh, concerns. Thank you.
18: Good morning. My name is Donna Hurwitz. I'm a member or resident of the Sunset District. I'm here to support Safe San Francisco. I have read this amendment. I'm in favor of it for a number of reasons, but one of which is that it's a step toward modernization of the department. There are ways we can make better use of modern, available surveillance techniques, et cetera, that will make the uh, police work more efficient and also improve record keeping.
1: Thank you. Uh, I just like to note if there's anybody else in the room who would like to make public comment, we'd be appreciative if you line up at this time and please also note that you're only allowed to speak once per item. Thank you very much.
8: Hello uh, my name is Steve Cotton, uh, member of District Six and um, just wanted to make two basic points first I think uh, this is, uh, I fully support the bill. I think the responsibility of government first and foremost is you know public safety and I worry to the people that might Um, think otherwise about the uh, amendment, that you don't really want this to become something that's more vigilante, where people are getting guns and trying to self-protect. The second thing is for people that, you know, think that um, crime is a complex problem, and, and I don't think we should think of it as, you know, support the police or defund it. I think it should be an and. Um, If if families and businesses are scared to come here, um, you're not going to be able to develop the tax base that that can afford to pay for the kind of um, programs that can help those that are uh, inundated with crime, homeless, et cetera, so anyway, I support it. Thank you.
12: Hello, Harry Flodemersh from District 5, and I just wanted to say that I'm here in attendance to support this bill um, and provide an anecdote. Uh, In the last month alone, I've been happenstance involved in five different incidents where I've had knives pulled on me and my friends, where women who were unsuspecting were assaulted, and every single time when we called the cops no one showed up. Now, I'm able to defend myself but most of the people here they can't. And they're living in fear every single day because they don't even know if the people who are supposed to support and protect them will be there for them when they need them. So I'm fully in support of this bill and measure. We need to make sure that our our elderly that our families are safe. Thank you.
1: Uh, this last call for a public comment on this matter. I see no other public commenters in the room. Great.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on this item is now closed. And uh, Supervisor Safai.
13: Thanks. Uh, Chief, now that we've got through public comment, I just wanted to go back to some of the questions. Um, just for clarity, I, I know we spent a little time on page uh, 19, um, slide 19. And it says you guys have about, looks like about half a million dollars, excuse me, five million dollars in the budget for recruitment staffing. Um, that includes the, uh, the development of hiring strategies. Sounds like you currently have one person allocated to that based on the slide projection. So what happens? Uh, if the numbers go up. Do you have discretion in your budget to add more to that work, or is the, I mean the big line item is the salary and the benefits for the recruits. So in case you were able to get multiple classes, I know we started to talk about that a little bit, but how does, how does your budget adjust for that? You have discretion within your current budget to adjust.
3: Yeah. No, go ahead, Patrick.
12: If, if I may answer that, uh, supervisor. Many of these items some of them are variable costs. Uh, For instance, if you look at the salary and benefits for recruits, um, those are estimates based on a class of 25. Whether it scales up or down, those numbers would adjust accordingly. In terms of some of the other categories um, for uniform equipment or from some of the service, uh, hiring and testing, those are more um, fixed costs. There uh, There are areas where we can uh, grow those numbers based on the size of the classes. I and guess
13: what I'm saying is if, for instance, you were able to get more recruits between now and the end of the year, and this is what you've allocated for the typical, do you have more money in your budget to handle that? Right now. Are you able to move
12: money around to handle that? In terms of salary, there's potential. Uh, in, with our, within our salary, we have some vacancy savings. Right now, we're using some of those vacancy savings to um, provide overtime backfill. In instances where there's additional vacancy savings, we might be able to move it toward academy classes. It is somewhat of a balance um, in, in using our budget toward uh, events that might pop up. For instance, uh, the memorial for Feinstein. we've had to. We've had a lot of contingency. So you have some
13: discretion in your budget in case there were more, Uh, but you would you would be putting in more for your upcoming year depending upon what you project. Correct? Yes. Okay. That that was that was that was that question. And you don't have anything in there. You're not doing anything, Chief, that has to do with advertisement because I know we've had the conversations before when we talked about diversity and hiring and recruitment and, and you have a whole set of staff allocated to that work. Um, you don't have anything in there that falls under the advertisement budget we, for we, recruitment we, and hiring?
3: There, there are some funds devoted to advertisement. The point that I was trying to make earlier though is that advertising is very expensive. And I know that. Yes, as you well know. And so to make the adjustment to do what we feel is necessary there's not enough funding for that. But
13: and and do you sure. have in the budget when you're traveling around other, you know, now you have the we've changed the law uh, with 12x you can go to many more states than you could have before i saw something that you were doing a recruitment um in texas um a few months back there
3: was yeah there, there is there are funds for for that uh, you know the, the more we have the that more fall we can under do
13: the kind of the recruitment and
10: advertisement you know budget
3: yeah uh the deputy chief wallace can add yep. can there
10: there's a $250,000. Item within the, which hasn't moved since I believe 2008, which is in the MOU with the POA to have a recruiting panel to go reach out. So uh, that has stayed stable. So this year so far, we've spent $98,000 year to date starting from July 1st on that. I I guess my point was originally I heard you say you had
13: none, but now I'm hearing you say you have about a quarter million. So I I just wanna, I'm just trying to get the information clear. And then the reason I gave the Texas example is because when we were talking about the diversity of hiring, and getting more people in, you had talked about wanting to go to historically black colleges. A lot of them were in the states that you were banned, that the city was banned from traveling and spending money on. Now that's removed. Uh, Is that part of your recruitment strategy?
3: Yes, and it already was part of the recruitment strategy. So let me me clarify. Yeah, there is the $250,000 that we've had consistently since 2008. It's not enough. Got it. No, I, I hear that. And then what category
13: does the going to recruit in other states, historically back colleges, others, is that in your diversity and hiring budget that's not reflected here? Because all I see is salary and benefits and then all the other fixed costs that we talked about, which up for a 25-member class is about $4.5 but there must be other monies that you've put aside for recruitment that are not reflected here.
12: So within the slide, the numbers that we provided was specifically just for the academy class. Um, what's mentioned here for the recruits, that's specifically to fund um, you know, visiting camp, uh, college campuses, recruitment type events. For that, that has been the same since 2007. And, and is that reflected in your presentation? For the presentation, I don't. No. I don't believe it's within. So how the much day. money do you have set aside for that? 250,000.
13: That's the same one that the Chief was just talking about in terms of advertisement? Correct. Yes. So that's, that, all of that is to visit other places and, and no. also? To pr-
9: no, that's to fund all of the recruitment strategies. So not only is it to do the outreach at the college, college campuses, uh, both in-state and out-of-state, um, that includes the advertising budget, any of the costs incurred. That
13: entire amount is quarter million?
9: Correct. Got it,
13: okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, that makes sense, okay. Um, that was one of my big questions and then in terms of your diversity and hiring how much money do you have set aside for that division because that also involves recruitment and outreach
3: yes so the 250 is is it and we do have um,
13: hold hold on chief I know that when we and I'm not I, I know when we did the previous hearings and we had conversations about how much staff you have dedicated to do diversity and hiring, there's that—that's dedicated staff for that within your department, correct?
3: So I think we're talking about two different things. Okay. So you're asking about the budgetary set aside for recruitment. That's two hundred fifty thousand. That's everything. I got that. Staff for diversity and hiring—it's the same staff. I mean, the recruitment unit does that. We also have the the um,
9: the Office of Equity and Inclusion.
3: Of, right. Of Equity and Inclusion, which is which is a lieutenant. Uh, there's a I think the lieutenant has at least one person that helps them but nope. that that nope. is well no per- people to help them but that's that's different from the recruitment unit and the Office of Equity and Inclusion but isn't
13: but aren't they also doing recruitment as well aren't they out there trying to get more diversity in hiring for your department?
3: not the Office of Equity and Inclusion they they basically are focused on equity and inclusion so the recruitment unit is responsible for recruiting they'll do all the sometimes work together, yes, but we have recruiters in a recruitment unit that that is their job to recruit, and that oh. includes the diversity and everything okay. else that you just no, asked about.
13: Okay, I just wanted to clarify that part, um, just from the previous work that we had talked about that you all were were doing. Um, okay, I don't I don't have any more questions. I make a, a Thank few you. comments. I um. It's interesting to me just based on the numbers that you have here where you are today in terms of uh, Is that your these are just so we're clear. This is full-duty sworn officers is 1475. That's your entire department right now 1475 officers within SFPD
9: No full-duty is not inclusive of all the officers we have the total number is 1871 but of those 1,475 are immediately deployable.
13: And what's the delta between those two? Yeah. What's the what, what is, When you say the deployable, what's the what's the delta? What are what are those officers? Why are they not deployable?
9: Uh, for a variety of reasons, some are out on disability. Oh. We don't include the academy recruits in the count because they're not yet sworn. Some are on modified duty due to injury.
13: How many? How many? Just curious. Are on modified duty or disability. That's about 400, that's about 400, 396.
9: Yeah, and also the 1,871 is inclusive of the airport as well, oh. which has an additional, I think about 125. So I can grab the numbers for you in one second. If okay, you no, to that's do fine.
13: I, I'd, I'd just say that, you know, we've been, Chief and I have chaired the Organized Retail Working Group uh, for the last three years, uh, since 2020 when your numbers were at 1829, then down in 2021 to 1770, and then now down to 1475. So it's good to know that you're mobilizing, even with fewer officers, to be able to do these interdictions with regard to organized retail theft and some of the other uh, property crimes. Um, that, that is really important work and something that I have made a top, top priority, uh, as you know. Chief, um, also as someone, and I heard a lot of people speak today, and I appreciate all the people that came out. I also have been a victim of property crime. My own home has been broken into. Uh, my stove, microwave, and hood were stolen. Uh, when we had our hearing on organized retail theft in this building, my car was broken into in front of City Hall. Um, this is this is an ongoing thing that I think many, many different San Franciscans are dealing with on a daily basis, so it's an important Um, that we prioritize this. I think we could debate all day about what that number is. I I don't think it's debatable that we're down officers in terms of what we need to be able to do. Although I will say, and I heard someone say this, um, one of the people that's asking for this amendment, they also talked about response times. And I had a hearing in this chamber about six months ago Uh, that talked about our 911 call center, and the average uh, time of response uh, had dropped dramatically um, in terms of the staffing of that department. So I think it's really, really important to think about crime and and crime response in the context of all of the entire uh, environment that supports one another. If there's not enough 911 call operators, which we know there are not, you're not necessarily going to get your call, uh, the 911 call answered, in, a, and it's only a 70-something percentage that's being answered in, in in the time that we've set for the city. Same thing if someone has a life-threatening issue, uh, situation; they have to go to the emergency room. Our wall times have gone up. Wall times for folks that are listening in the public is when an emergency vehicle sits. Waiting to get someone into the emergency room at the hospital, those numbers are still high in San Francisco, because we are short emergency room nurses. So 911 call operators, nurses, and then some, one of the individuals came and talked about the crisis response team, um, the crisis response team and its design, and I know they work closely with you, chief, and and through the direction of the mayor, um, to begin to take some of the call response away from your department to free up your uh, staff and so that they are also uh, underfunded and then also our sheriffs and our both our jails as well as in our buildings and the response so this is an entire environment Um, um, and I think that when we're thinking about the emergency and the crime in the city we have to think about it in kind of an all-inclusive environment because we could give you the additional officers today But if there's not the 911 call operators, the nurses, uh, the emergency vehicles, the crisis response team, mental health beds, that's another one, uh, getting people off the streets and keeping them off the streets, 50% of the people that have have been referred to mental health facilities and beds in the city are turned away. And there are a lot of times the same individuals that end up back out on the street in crisis that your officers are responding to. Um, So... I have been, and I have said this publicly, I've been supportive of this uh, um, proposal for some time. I do believe that we do need to get um, these numbers back up, but the city is also in uh, somewhat of a fiscal crisis. It's not even somewhat, it is in a fiscal crisis. The mayor has given instructions to many of the departments to cut essential services. We're talking about buses, we're talking about park services, fire department, um, all the essential services in our city. Um, those, those instructions came in recently uh, to all the departments that cut their uh, numbers by over 3% because of the fiscal crisis that we're facing in the city that, uh, that's coming up. And so the thing that concerns me about this proposal is that there's a line in, and I know uh, Supervisor Dorsey, you were being very thoughtful in this. Um, it talks about when the city faces a a budget shortfall of over a quarter million dollars, which we are going to be facing, um, this freezes. And so after year one's allocation of 16.8 million, year two, there would be no additional funding that goes into this fund. Uh, It will be frozen. And so it concerns me that uh, that there's not a revenue source for this, and I appreciate the amendment about philanthropy. I think that's thoughtful. But I would imagine that getting over $30 million a year dedicated to this is is a heavy lift uh, in and of itself and so um, I think that it's I think that the right thing to do would be to have some type of dedicated funding source for this Um, I am supportive of this proposal I think it's a very thoughtful and and we do need the time uh, to build our officers back up and so I appreciate uh, Supervisor Dorsey Uh, Putting this proposal together. I think it nicely complements the other item on the agenda today that we're going to be talking about putting officers back out into the community um, On the beats in every single neighborhood as Supervisor Walton talked about earlier Um, We've been asking for officers on the street for seven years um, And it has been uneven in the city. And so that's what we're hoping that this will help to complement so Those are my thoughts I know that we're going to make some amendments today. I think that's going to continue the item until next week, Um, but that will give us a little more time to talk about a dedicated funding source and and the idea of a comprehensive safety package that includes all the different things that we're talking about, not included in yours, but but definitely in the future. And I think that's what we heard today from a lot of the other uh, representative groups uh, that spoke out uh, that want to work in partnership with the police department.
0: Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Vice Chair Walton.
11: Thank you, Chair Dorsey. And I just want to thank the department for their presentation and also just acknowledge everyone who did come in to provide public comment. Uh, I'll give more extensive comments next week.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair Walton. Um, And I will just uh, express my appreciation to everybody um, who spoke, everybody who came out to express their opinion, whatever that opinion may be, and to the um, chief and his team for. Uh, their presentation and answering questions. I would just reiterate that I think it is important in this environment, that it's, it's not just the policy that we're working on that I think takes a um, measured approach over a period of five years to dig out from where we find ourselves in what is a once-in-a-generation um, police staffing crisis that isn't unique to San Francisco, but we have um, a particularly acute issue right now with one department, Um, and I think in some ways this, because we have in years past um, had charter amendments on police staffing, um, it makes sense to do this as a discrete um, charter amendment, even though we do have to remember, as um, my colleague Supervisor Safai said, that there are other things, shortfalls that we need to address, even if they're not addressed in this particular um, charter amendment. for most of the last 30 years we have had a police staffing um, minimum level that um, even though it wasn't hit very often it was it kept the city honest enough that there was always a threat of litigation if we didn't if we were too far off the mark of what the charter was requiring um, that it kept City Hall uh, relatively honest in making sure that we were hitting those numbers I found an interesting thing that on October 28th of 1853 170 years ago, almost to the day, the San Francisco Board of what were then called aldermen established the first minimum staffing level of uh, 56 officers. So minimum staffing levels have been a part of our history, certainly most of our uh, recent history, um, but this is not uh, without precedent. Um, So again, my appreciation to everybody. I think um, I had outlined four um, uh, amendments that I was going to move and I think what I'm going to do, if it's OK, to divide, just looking at the city attorney, to divide this into two separate motions so that I can explain one of them that's a little more involved. I'm looking back. That's
4: absolutely fine. Yes. OK. It's
0: okay. So I, I would like to make a motion um, to amend the uh, charter amendment to include the amendments on page four, lines eight and nine which change weight basically lower the uh, annual targets over five years by 100 officers to a final number of 2074. Um, we're going to skip the amendment, we'll come back to that on page five. The second part of this would be to amend that to specify that these resources shall be, in addition to those amounts previously appropriated for the department staffing in the fiscal year 2023 and 2024 biannual budget, and that the funds will be used exclusively to be uh, in support of full staffing. And then on page eight, uh, between lines nine through 13, that the city may at its discretion uh, appropriate money to the fund after fiscal year 2028, 2029, and to specify that nothing herein is intended to limit the city's ability to accept private donations to satisfy the required appropriations to the fund. Um, I think those are fairly non-substantive, so I'd like to make a motion to um, adopt those.
1: Um, Chair, Chair Dorsey, I just want to confirm on your summary that it is one, three, and four?
0: On my summary, it is, yes, correct.
1: Okay, thank you for the clarification. Yes, on that motion to amend. Vice Chair Walton. No. Walton, no. Supervisor Safai. Safai aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. That motion passes right. with uh,
0: Vice Chair Walton voting no. Thank you. And now I'd like to make a motion and this will give me an opportunity to explain um, I want, there, we wanted to have a way of making sure that um, you know we never want to put um, a department head, um, even one. If I, you know, I'm a fan of uh, Chief Scott, but we never want to put a department head um, in a position of being able to, you know, establish what the staffing level is going to be without some kind of check and balance. Um, there was a police commission oversight, and the language in here, as introduced, would said that uh, the. The police commission shall not reduce the minimum staffing level by more than five percent over a year so that would stay there was some feedback through um, the uh, meet and confer process that in the holding that the in the event the police commission reduced the minimum staffing level that it would authorize the chief of police to seek review by the board of supervisors of the police commission's decision and i think the the thinking of that was so that an elected body rather than an appointed body would have um, sort of a be the final um, decision maker on that. The board, it would hold that the Board of Supervisors is authorized to reject by a major- majority vote the police commission's reduction of the minimum staffing level and order the police commission to adopt a higher minimum staffing level. The police commission shall approve a budget that includes funding for the salaries required to meet at least the minimum staffing level as set forth earlier in the um, provision. This is different, and it's new, because as as I mentioned, back in 1994, when we had a minimum staffing number, it was a static number that was just enshrined for uh, 25 years and never changed. We wanted to make sure that we don't repeat that mistake. We want to have the flexibility in years to come to make sure that if we're enshrining something into the charter, we have a process for changing it. Um, I think this is um, workable. That actually gives us a sort of check and balance, but also Provides another check in case there was a police commission decision that's going to affect police staffing levels. That it would be, it would go to the board of supervisors that could um, hold that appeal. So, with that, I'd like to make a motion for that. But I, I welcome any comment or thoughts on it. Uh, Supervisor I, I'll, I'll just
13: add, uh, <clears throat> Chair, the way you wrote it the first time uh, makes the most sense to me. That the, the, I mean, listen. You have certain numbers that you're trying to hit, you say after that particular year, once you've gotten to that number, this is the process, you describe it very clearly, and then the police commission, you know, holds a hearing with the chief of police after they've done their analysis, they submit it, and then it gives you guardrails. I think that's I think the way you've written it there is 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 appropriate. I feel comfortable with that. Um, I think you add an additional layer in there. I mean, you say no less than five percent, right? So what was 3%, 2%, you know, I just, again, it's done on an analysis that's done by the chief and his team, and, and it, that makes sense to me. Uh, this, this, this amendment respectfully doesn't seem, I mean, then what's the point? I mean, you might as well just remove the entire section above and just have this be the, the process, which I don't think here at the Board of Supervisors we want to do, so.
0: Why don't we? I think I'm I'm gonna move this. Okay. And can we have a roll call on the motion?
1: Yes, on the motion to amend. Vice Chair Walton? No. Walton, no. Supervisor Safai? No. Safai, no. Chair Dorsey? Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion
0: fails. Okay. And then finally, can I move to continue this to the rules committee next week, which we do by rule because it has been amended.
1: Yes, on the motion to continue the matter as amended to October 30th, 2023. On that motion, Vice Chair Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Safai, Safai, aye. Chair Dorsey, aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection.
0: Great. Thank you, Mr. Clerk, and uh, we continue the item till next week. Mr. Clerk, can we call item number two?
1: Yes, item number two is the ordinance amending the administrative code to require the chief of police to adopt a foot and bike patrol strategy for the police department and to require the police commission to hold annual hearings regarding community policing and foot and bike patrols.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. This item is chiefly sponsored by Supervisor Safai, and as he mentioned, I think this is an appropriate companion to some of the conversations we just had. Um, Supervisor Safai, appreciate your leadership on this. The floor is yours. Thank
13: you. Thank you. Um, Please don't run off police. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Right when we're talking about foot patrols, they're leaving. (laughs) Uh, Just just joking, Chief. Okay. so I I mean, listen, I know there's a lot of issues that that can divide us and that we can debate about um, policing and police reform in our city. Um, But I believe uh, that putting officers out On the street and into the community is one that I think the vast majority of our residents um, agree on. I think the majority of people want to see uh, police officers doing true community policing. It's been a tried-and-true success um, all over the world. Um, It's something that statistically reduces crime uh, but the presence of officers, it also builds relationships, it, it builds Uh, a pipeline of of future officers and I think importantly and I really want to emphasize this I think importantly it builds morale because when officers are out there they're getting for the majority of the time really positive feedback um, from the community and it gives them pride in their job Um, not that they don't have any but I think that during these difficult times I think it's important for officers to be out there interacting with merchants with residents with everyday San Franciscans. And so for me, seeing it in real time the other day, and I think I told you this, uh, Chief, uh, I was out on Market uh, Van Ness, walking back to City Hall, was called over by someone that happened to be on uh, one of the side streets. There were a number of people there, unfortunately, um, using drugs and drugged out. Um, And while I was standing there, uh, a, a patrol car drove by. And nobody stopped what they were doing, and the officers drove by slowly. They were doing their job, Um, but then actually two or three minutes later uh, from the top of the hill, uh, foot patrol officers came by, and I I was thinking to myself, is this a setup? Does someone know I'm here? Is this happening in real time? like the chief telling people to come (laughs) or the captain? But it, it really wasn't, and you know what? About seven or eight stops along the way, the officers offered services. They asked for help. They knew a number of the individuals by name. And within 20 minutes, you know, everyone had cleared out and either gone on to get services or gotten help, and the officers were there. And, and so I just have to say, I mean, this is something that I think is a try and true practice. Um, it requires the chief, I think, for the first time, um, and we give all the discretion to the, to the head of the department, as it should be, to come up with a plan, but for every single police district in San Francisco and as I said earlier I've been asking for seven years for consistent footbeat officers I know we're down numbers and I think we just had a long conversation about that we will continue to talk about that Uh, but I do know the average shift is 10 to 12 hours and I think there is a way given the ingenuity of the now getting a strike team to do organized retail theft interdictions with even fewer officers than we had three years ago. I think there's a creative way that we can ask uh, officers to do a, a part of their shift um, on either foot or bike patrols. And I leave that complete discretion to the chief. Uh, we we have, uh, and we will not hear today, the amendments are not ready. We've had some conversations with the department, but. Uh, we, we ask that once every at least once every two years that there's a hearing on it um, in your normal process of what you're doing in terms of your staffing analysis at the, at the commission so that there's an opportunity for the public to weigh in and give their thoughts and concerns, um, but that the chief uh, is creating these uh, plans um, and putting them all over San Francisco. And I heard from a number of residents that came today that talked about their specific neighborhoods. Whether it's the open-air drug dealing, the open-air drug use, whether it's some retail theft, whether it's just general concerns about crime, I think having the officers visible and present and interacting is something that we need in San Francisco now. So I want to you know thank my co-sponsors, uh, Supervisor Engardio, Supervisor President Peskin, uh, Supervisor Ronan, and Supervisor Chan uh, for their support on this. And you know, I I think the time is now. And so I, I'm just going to say that I appreciate working with the department. Um, I appreciate getting feedback uh, from the commission. I appreciate getting feedback from community all over San Francisco.
0: So thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai, Vice Chair Walton.
11: Thank you, Chair Dorsey. I just want to be added as a co-sponsor. Great. Thank you.
13: Oh, and, and let me say after that, I, I do want to say uh, this, was, uh, this was an effort that was built off of some previous work that Supervisor Walton and Supervisor Haney had done a few years ago. Um, we've amended it in a way that I think is a little bit more workable today, but also want to thank them for the work that they did uh, a couple years back. Uh, thank you.
0: Thanks to you both. And I. You know, the, since we have the chief here, I would, can I invite the chief, if you have uh, anything, comments on this? I will say I am... Um, Inclined to support this, and I know that um, policing is better when people have have a relationship with the those who are sworn to serve and protect them. I know that we have a uh, fitness requirement in uh, our, among our sworn staff, but I think the reality is that nobody is going to be fit enough to run four blocks from a, on a 911 call. I mean, that's part of one, one of the problems of, with having an understaffed police department, which I think, why I think this is, this, I, I really appreciate the leadership, Supervisor Safai is bringing to this because it highlights what we can have if we have a fully staffed police department. Um, so um, I think we w- should be able to have bike patrols and foot patrols and I know that my residents would love to see more of that. So I invite any thoughts you have on
3: that. Thank thank you, Chair Dorsey. Uh, Let me just start by saying, excuse me, Um, footbeats are a good thing. Um, As a former footbeat officer earlier in my career, several stages in my career, um, I understand and appreciate really the value of what a footbree brings to policing, to community policing, to engagement. Uh, It's a good thing. My only ask with uh, this amendment, and uh, Supervisor Safai and I have had many conversations, is that the department um, is able to manage the day-to-day operations of when how um, because as as we spent a large degree in our last item talking about when you're short across the board you know we, we've had to cut units across the board but we we are resourceful and we will do everything in our power to, to make this happen as we always try to do um, if the equation is you know zero-sum game between having to fill the sector cars and to staff a foot beat on a particular day you know we have to respond to calls for service and we will continue to do that when people call 911 as you've heard in many of the public comments today they expect us to be there so I don't think there's any argument about that sometimes it gets kind of uh, complicated as to having to choose this or that so our only ask as a department is that we be able to maintain that ability to manage this organization and do what's in the best interest of public safety, understanding the importance of Footbeats. So we've done our own uh, research and we understand how Footbeats do impact crime in a a positive way. And so we're committed to Footbeats. It's just trying to make it all happen with the staffing that we have. And that's always a challenge, but uh, we're committed to doing everything we can. Great. Thank you, Chief. And I'm, I think
0: at this point, actually, I will uh, ask if I can be added as a co sponsor to this. And uh, why don't we open this up to public comment?
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line to speak now along the side by the windows. Each speaker will be allowed one minute. There will be a soft chime when you have 30 seconds left and a louder chime when your ha- time has expired.
15: No it's ready to
14: go. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Mary Harris, President O. My Neighbors in Action. I think the uh, two items, item one and two, definitely go together. And I would hope that the same supervisors will support it, that support number two, that would support number one, because I think they go hand in hand. I think it needs to be definitely at the discretion of the chief because of our staffing and I've personally um, witnessed when off our foot patrol on Ocean Avenue, Officer Butler came in to Walgreens and it was there was gonna be a robbery and they were deterred and they left. I don't know if they're gonna come back, but at that time it made a difference to have um, someone come in and observe and kind of give them the thing that this was not gonna go down today. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
27: Okay, hello, my name is Leah McEver. Um, I'd just like to say that I do see police every day. I am surveilled every day by police, urban alchemy, parks and rec, BART police, et cetera, whoever else is out there. And so there is no ever like relaxing walk I take through my neighborhood, Uh, and that's because of the constant surveillance, which I don't know what your experience is like being constantly surveilled, but as a woman, and then for people who are trans and that can be identified as trans, it is, uh, it's horrible. Uh, There's a lot of harassment, there's a lot of hateful looks or or weird behavior and stuff that these uh, people who are tasked with policing us uh, exhibits. Um, so when I do want to go for a relaxing walk, I go to the other parts of San Francisco there where I don't see police, where I don't see urban alchemy, where I don't see any of those people. And I'm sad that apparently that your plan is to just roll that out a- everywhere.
22: So. Good afternoon. Jordan Davis again. She, her, her, they, them pronouns. I get surveilled a lot as well, like just like uh, Leah said. And I don't feel any safer. And for reference, I live in a crime-ridden neighborhood. I live in the Tenderloin, and I don't feel safer when police are walking around. I feel safer when there are community ambassadors. I feel safer when there are programs that help people out. But I don't want police walking around like, and I want them to be, frankly, I want that. I think we should defund the police, but I think the police that remain should be more like uh, Chief Wiggum and less like Dirty Harry so fuck the police we need to still defund the police especially in these budget times so this is a disgrace lick my cut and choke on it I yield my time fuck you
1: are there any other members who would like to provide public comment on item number two I do not see any additional speakers on this matter
0: Great, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on item number two is now closed. And uh, Supervisor Safayi, do you have? A, would you like to make the motion?
13: No, the, uh, the, I, I just we have just have to continue it for a week because okay. the the amendments that I need to adjust are not ready yet. Um, um, uh, my fault. Just want to be clear. I see Anne looking at me like, don't blame me. Okay. <laughs> We got them late to the uh, city attorneys, so uh, they, they will be ready for next week. Okay. Um, but they're essentially what we talked about today. We're gonna make some of the adjustments that the police department asked for um, to make it a little bit stronger in terms of the time. Um, okay. But
0: yeah. Should we have a motion then to continue Yeah, for so one just week?
13: a motion to continue for one week, if we can, please.
1: Mr. Clerk, yes, can on call? the motion to continue the matter to October 30th, 2023. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Dorsey, aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. On a unanimous vote, then, item two is continued to the next meeting of the Rules Committee. Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number three?
1: Yes. Item number three is a charter amendment to amend the Charter of the City and County of San Francisco to provide that the Mayor must affirmatively approve in writing certain San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency proposals as part of the SFMTA's proposed budget or budget amendments. Proposals subject to approval requirement include changes to fares, parking meters, maximum rate, and hours or days of parking meter operations at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024.
0: Great, thank you, Mr. Clerk. And this item is also chiefly sponsored by Supervisor Safai. Um Supervisor, the floor is yours. Uh,
13: okay, great. So colleagues, uh, today uh, we're I have introduced a charter amendment to ensure that when we have two very specific and critical decisions that are made by the MTA, um, to ensure that the mayor of San Francisco, whoever he or she um, might be, affirmatively approves uh, any in the budget any proposed increases to fares, and that's fares on riding muni, and extending of the parking meters and rates um, uh, and days and operations. Uh, we have seen a number of situations. The MTA itself is a five-member appointed body, oversight body, 100% appointed by the mayor of San Francisco. Mayor of San Francisco works to choose the head of that department. And the oversight body has afforded the head, executive director, the sole discretion to raise fares and extend parking meters. Uh, we believe it's important with a decision that, uh, of this magnitude that impacts so many working families, uh, merchants and otherwise, that we call out exactly who uh, makes this decision and where the responsibility lies. So the uh, I'd like to thank uh, President Peskin uh, as a co-sponsor of this. Um, I know that we have Supervisor Ronan and Supervisor Walton uh, as a supporter of this. Um, and. Uh, I th- and we have a couple more uh, coming. I'm trying to remember who else I have. Um, anyway, oh, wait. I- I'll thank everyone at the later, but those are the four that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, so in 2007, the voters approved Prop A, which granted the exclusive authority the MTA overcharges to all operations. Um, And then in 2008, the board of directors delegated that authority, as I said, to the director of transportation. So uh, the one elected person in that body is the one that makes a a decision that impacts so many working families, so many people across San Francisco merchants or otherwise. And so we have heard over the last year, whether it was during a couple years, whether it was during COVID, When there was a proposal to raise the rates on the buses the fares on the buses or more recently as we're coming out of COVID and recovering uh, to extend parking meter hours Um, so it's created a quite a bit of confusion and consternation but i'd like to thank the golden gate restaurant association along with the gary merchants and small business owners across san francisco um, along with many people within the labor community that we've heard from that have that this impacts their bottom line and their ability um, to thrive and work in San Francisco. So with that, colleagues, I'm happy to hand it over to public comment.
0: Great. Thank you, Supervisor Safayi, And I have some questions and comments, but I know that there's a lot of folks just given today that we have been waiting to make public comment. So I want to make sure why don't we just open it up uh, to public comment.
1: Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should land to speak now. Each member will be allocated one minute. There will be a soft chime when you have 30 seconds left and a louder chime when your time is expired. I can't request two, huh? All
30: right, well, good morning, Chair Dorsey, Committee Member Safi and Walton. My name is Cyrus Hall. I stand to urge you to adopt a do not pass recommendation with respect to this charter amendment. The amendment is currently written, chips away at the political independence and insulation created by 1999's Prop E and 2007's Prop A. It also fails to accomplish its goal of creating political accountability for the mayor, as it requires no written statement or acknowledgement of trade-offs around disapproval of proposed budget revenue additions. By making it easy for the mayor to block new revenue, the proposed amendment does not reflect transit-first values, environmental priorities, and is dangerous as SFMTA faces a fiscal crisis. If the committee is inclined to move this forward, I recommend two changes. One, that the mayor, that the system move to a disapproval rather than an approval, and that the mayor must write a written statement if she disapproves of revenue measures. And two, if the mayor does disapprove of revenue measures, they must uh, suggest an alternative revenue source such that we do not have to make service cuts. It is not just working families who drive, they also take muni. We are facing a $120 million deficit next year in SFMTA's budget. The uh, budget proposal uh, that MTA made earlier, oh, I'm out of
5: time. Thank you very much. Vote no. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Abdu Hadwan. I'm with CIU Local 87, uh, who represent 3,000 members who work in downtown San Francisco. Most of them, or 90% of them, work after 5 p.m., and this parking, uh this what what they want mTA want what they want to do actually is if they extend the hours to ten o'clock it's gonna affect a lot of our members who start working at five and six o'clock at night and it, and they cannot afford paying tickets and afford they cannot also afford to pay in meters. actually, I have yesterday, today I met with a member who got a ticket on Saturday who works overtime at one of the buildings at Shana Basin, which he used they use they, they, their their meters. It's been extended. Uh, it's been extended until 10 p.m. for a long time, and this is just one of the examples that's just been happening. And uh, also in the Hyron hall, in our Hyron hall, we cannot even send people to work uh, to to Mission Bay because of they are afraid of paying tickets. They cannot park after six o'clock. So we please help us uh, pass this amendment. Thank you so much. Buenas
23: tardes, supervisores. Mi nombre es Esperanza Ruelas y soy parte de la Mesa Ejecutiva de Local 87. Queremos responsabilidad. Es necesario que haya supervisión sobre la SFMTA para tomar decisiones que afecten nuestro sustento, como aumentar las tarifas de los parquímetros y aumentar los horarios. El alcalde debería tener la autoridad para aprobar o rechazar dichas propuestas de la SFMTA. Muchas gracias.
17: Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. My name is Mayela. I'm with SCIO Local 87. I'm a unit representative, and we want accountability. There needs to be oversight over SMNTA to make decisions that impact our livelihoods like raising parking meter fares and increasing hours. The mayor should have the authority to approve or reject such proposal by the SMTA. Thank you.
26: Hello again, Marie Hrabiel. I just wanted to voice my support for this. I do not think that uh, someone who has not been elected by the people of San Francisco should have this much authority over the people of San Francisco. There needs to be an elected person who can be held accountable for this kind of action. Thank you.
28: My name is Jabez Wesley and I do not support this um, charter amendment in the in the current form. I think it's it is unreasonable to expect uh, for Muni to be funded off of parking fare um, enforcement. I think everyone here can agree about, agree upon that, but uh, public transportation is critically important. Um, thousands of San Franciscans depend on it every day to get to the, where they need to go. I'm a car-free San Franciscan. Um, we can't have cuts in hours. It would be great if we had fare-free Muni. Um, and I, I worry about giving the mayor power to block um, SFMTA budget increases and basically starve it of being in a useful service that it is.
1: Thank you. Are there any members, any additional members of the public who would like to make public comment on this matter? I see no additional commenters. I believe we can close public comment.
0: Great, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on item number three is now closed. Um, I have a few questions and I see that, uh, well, Ramos, is here can I I just wanted to if I understand this correctly is it my understanding that the director of MTA or
31: the MTA board has authority currently Uh, I believe it's the uh, the uh, the MTA board has the authority to actually approve um, in the budget and then uh, and then the budget as a whole goes to the uh the board of supervisors for approval as part of the overall budget for the city
0: could does the director have could, is that something that the mta director can do
31: without the board, the mta board i believe so but uh i should probably get back to you and know for sure on that
13: yeah just to jump in chair that the board delegated that authority to the director on fares and and extending parking meter hours that's that's understand our advice from the city attorney when we drafted this, that's that's the purpose of what we're trying to control for.
0: Okay. Is it? If, would it be too much to ask just to give a little overview of from 1999 Prop A and I think it was 2007's Prop E. I'm sorry, Mr. Chair. So, yeah. So my, I'll, I'll just. This is sort of um, my recollection of this from years ago is that the much of what animated uh the move for proposition e back in 1999 was to put mta and fairs beyond the reach of politics um, or at least a little further beyond the reach of politics and i i think that was if i'm understanding prop a in 2007 i think it was the intention of that to to preserve that i mean i have said whenever i go to a something that you know i'm a person who doesn't own a car Um, I want a vibrant and well-funded and you know strong uh, transit system I have always believed that the measure of a city's commitment to equity can be seen in its commitment to transit and in some ways that's part of why I don't want a politicized transit system because the reality is being equitable means there may be routes that aren't as popular but we have to serve them as well so that that's what back when I was a voter in 1999 and supported changes to MTA, um, the Prop E. It was my understanding that the idea was to put this beyond the the reach of elected officials. The board and mayor could make a decision on the budget, but couldn't open up the hood on the on the of fares. Is that your understanding, or is that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, If this measure were to go before voters and pass, um, can you tell me how you think this would play out in terms of service, Uh, would it lead to to service cuts or increased?
31: Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, We at the MTA are are still facing a crisis of revenue shortfalls and um, while there's a lot of balls in the air, so to speak, uh, we've been put in a position where we're looking at very real Um, threats to service and our ability to um, provide the the levels of service that San Franciscans have come to depend on and uh, we as you know um, haven't raised fares for years now Um, we did listen to the board of the supervisors, board of supervisors urging us not to um, raise fares and uh, the director of transportation and the MTA board didn't uh, raise fares it's been Um, something like five years now since we've been able to raise fares. Um, And at the same time, um, we haven't seen any new revenue streams come in that would offset what we've lost from that fare increase, as well as uh, being able to raise revenues from our parking meters. You probably remember how we refrained from enforcing uh, parking meters uh, during the pandemic, and uh, we lost a, a bunch of revenues then too. Um, we are still catching up with um, where we need to be. And at this time, uh, we would imagine that while it would be painful, we understand that uh, not everybody is ready and willing and able to, uh, to, to pay for more fares at the meters. We also recognize, or more rates, uh, higher rates at the meters. We recognize that uh, we have some extremely vulnerable people that take buses. And for them it's, it's, it's even more challenging to, uh, to live and stay in San Francisco. So from our perspective, we've been left with very little recourse and um, these are the tools that the MTA has to keep service around. And I would imagine that going forward with this decision, what the way that it's currently written, it's, it doesn't feel like the, um, the people that would ride transit would really have a fair shot at being able to, um, to stop the cuts from happening, that would come from a decision to stop the, the meters and the, the fares from being raised.
13: Okay, I'm gonna jump in there because, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna let you off the hook that easy. This in no way says that fares can't be raised or parking meters cannot be extended. What we're doing, and let's be clear, because it's happened on slow streets, It happened on extending parking meter hours recently. It happened on raising fares. The mayor completely controls the SFMTA's board. The mayor appoints the executive director or the general manager or whatever it's called for the director of transportation. The mayor is now being asked to put their stamp. And it actually does say, to the gentleman that commented, it does say in writing either to approve or disapprove by May 1 of that year. So nothing in this says anything about or jeopardizes any future service in the city. What it's doing is calling out what is actually happening today. The mayor's office and the mayor weighs in to tell and direct the department what to do. The Board of Supervisors does not have that authority. We, by charter, cannot direct departments. We, by charter, have not one appointment to the SFMTA board. They are 100 percent and that's the voters have affirmed that over and over again. So I'm not challenging that in any way. What we are putting out today is if it is necessary and if a decision is going to be made Let's put the authority where the decision is actually happening today and has been happening, and that is with the mayor in working with the department to make the decision on what the right thing to do is, whether it's for fares or extending parking meter hours. That is what is actually happening, and we know that to be true. So that's why we put this forward. We're saying... Um, And then there's this whole narrative, just for the public and those that are listening, the whole narrative that the mayor in the city deserves more power. I'm not even getting into that conversation, but this does give the mayor more power in decision-making. And so for those that are in favor of that, uh, just as as a footnote, that is also uh, happening in this. So again, just for the record, there's nothing in this that does not enable decisions to be made. It's just actually calling out the process that
0: actually happens today. OK. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Um, I appreciate it. Thank, thanks. I have no Thank more questions. Thank you, Mr. Questions. Um, I have mixed feelings about this, but I'm going to say I'm, I'm disinclined to support it just because just, again, I feel like this is going in the a direction we were trying to get away from in prior um, ballot measures to to depoliticize. I feel like this is a step in toward repoliticizing it. So that's where I will be with Supervisor you do you have a motion? Uh,
13: yes, I uh, make a motion to send this. And I also want to just reiterate my co-sponsors, uh, President Peskin, thank you for your work and partnership. Uh, Supervisor Ronan, Supervisor Walton, and Supervisor Chan um, are all uh, uh, co-sponsors of this item so far. Um, and we do have support from uh, one or two more supervisors um, anyway, but so would like to make a motion to send this item to the full board uh, with positive recommendation
0: Mr. Clerk, or is we'll that what
13: call. we do yeah. on charter amendments positive recommendation?
1: M- Madam, City yes, Attorney? it's just a recommendation to the full board. Yeah, that there you go. Thank you Yes on the motion to recommend Vice-Chair Walton aye. Walton aye Supervisor Safai aye Safai aye Chair Dorsey no Dorsey, no.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Then, on a uh, two-to-one vote, then the item moves to the full board with positive recommendation.
13: And, and thank you for all the folks that came out and spoke in favor of this today. Appreciate it. Gracias por venir para hablar en, en apoyo de este uh, okay. item.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, Mr. Clerk. Would you please call item number four?
1: Yes. Yes, on item number four. Item number four is a charter amendment to amend the charter of the city and county of San Francisco to establish within the charter the Department of Emergency Management, the position of the director of the department, and the director's qualification and appointing authority and election to be held on March 5th, 2024.
0: Great, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, This item is also uh, chiefly sponsored by Supervisor Safai. Um, Supervisor Safai. The floor is yours to discuss this. Thank you. Um,
13: just kind of ties in a little bit about what we were talking about today in terms of uh, the importance of our Department of Emergency Management in, in terms of all the work that has been asked of them that they have responded to and have been a part of over the last uh, few years in particular. It started under COVID and has expanded more recently we thought it was important um, to i wanted to make sure that when it came to the qualifications of the uh, executive director we wanted to codify and solidify the value of the current director that we have now Uh, her expertise and what she brings to the table there have been times in the past when people have assumed this role and i think sir rosa dorsey you'll remember that, Chair Dorsey, that there were times when there were not people that necessarily met the qualifications of what we need. And I think it's just been underscored over and over again over the last couple of years, particularly with what has happened. We thought it would be good to put in at least the minimum qualifications, similar to what we do for the head of building inspection, or more recently, the head of public works, or um, whether it's you know, you're talking about the district attorney having to have prosecutorial experience and have a trial, you know, so felt like it was really important. That does not mean you could get someone in that position that exceeds that qualification, uh, but we thought it was important to um, put that forward and, uh, you know, solidify it in the charter. Um, so that's essentially, it's, there's, it's not really more... Um, Uh, complicated than that and I just want to say our current director Marion Carroll, has done a phenomenal job and she set the bar and we want the bar to remain at her level or uh, or higher.
0: Thank You Supervisor Safai. I I am almost convinced unless there is uh, somebody from (laughs) DEM who wants to come up and tell explain why this uh, is something that's bad policy or convince me otherwise and I don't believe there is. Um, Okay so thank you for the presentation you won me over. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can we open this up to public comment?
1: Uh, yes. Is there anybody in the room for who would like to provide public comment on this matter? I do not see any parties
0: who would like to comment on this matter. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on item number four is now closed. Supervisor Safi, would you like to make the motion on this?
13: this item to the full board with positive recommendation.
0: Mr. Clerk, a roll call on that motion.
1: Yes, on a motion to recommend the matter to the full board. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Supervisor Safayi Aye. Safai aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Then on a unanimous vote, the item goes to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, do we have any further business?
1: That completes our agenda today.
0: Great. Thank you so much, everyone. We are adjourned.
1: Thank you.